welcome to the spotlight. I am your host, Ben Beck, on this day 13 of National Podcast Post Month, and I am so super excited to bring this one to you, to bring this rewind to you. This is the second of our stacked episodes. We've got not one, not two, not three, but four previous conversations that I'm bringing you is this one. They're going to be back to back to back to back. So make sure you listen all the way through. And the reason why I'm doing four is because over the years, I have been incredibly lucky enough to talk to a majority of the cast of the television show, Whose line is it anyway? Only a couple still elude me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna work on them for season seven. So hopefully we'll bring them through. Uh, as a matter of fact, two of these people I've had on three times, and that's Colin Mockery and Brad Sherwood. I, I've Colin and Brad and I have built up a really cool relationship where I've had them on the podcast multiple times. Every time they come to town, I get to go see them. Every time I get to go see them, I get to go backstage and hang out with them. So that's a little bit of a humble brag. But this episode is going to be, again, four parts. We got Colin Mockery, the first time we had Colin on. Brad Sherwood, first time I had him on. But in addition, Ryan Stiles and Greg Proops. Greg, who I also had an opportunity to meet when he was in town and got to go backstage and hang out with. Ryan, I haven't had the chance to meet, but still, one day, I hope to have it happened. Uh, But again, it's a lengthy episode because it's four parts, but I guarantee you, you're going to enjoy all four parts of this. Here it is, part of National Podcast Post Month, day number 13, Ryan Stiles, Greg Proops, Colin Mockery, and Brad Sherwood. All right. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another Next Level Radio Guest Spotlight. I am your host, Ben Beck, joined by my co-host, Adam Gorey, and we are both extremely excited to be joined by our guest this evening. Uh, If you ask us, he really needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. He's an award-winning comedian, having won two Canadian Comedy Awards, a Gemini Award, and an award from the Writers Guild of Canada, not to mention many other nominations, but he's known best for his work. On the show, whose line is it anyway? Please welcome Captain Hare himself, Mr. Colin Mockery. Colin, thanks so much for spending some time with us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me on. Um, uh, now, I know I, we, we, don't, we have a very limited amount of time with you, I, although I could talk to you probably for hours because I'm a huge fan, so I want to jump right into things. Um, okay, I'm pretty boring, so good luck to you. <laughs> Something tells me that's probably far from true. Mm. Well, you make your own decision after this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, I know a common punchline throughout the, the course of the show is you being from Canada, and I know that's where you live. Um, and I know that's where you've spent most of your life as well. But I think something a lot of people don't know about you is you're actually born in Scotland, correct? That's right. Yeah, I was born in Kilmarnock, Scotland uh, quite a few years ago. <laughs> do, you ever get back to, do you ever get back to Kilmarnock? Uh, no, uh, people have told me not to. <laughs> um, it, it, it's not apparently a, a great place to go. I was... Um, uh, I, I actually just got back from Edinburgh. I was doing the Edinburgh Festival out there. Uh, we were doing sort of a um, British Who's Line uh, reunion. So we, we uh, had 20 shows. And uh, I was very uh, close to going, but uh, as I say, people said, no, there's no reason for you. To- uh-huh. Edinburgh is beautiful. Just stay here and eat. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did hear rumor that there was supposed to be some kind of UK reunion, and I, that's what it was. It was out in Edinburgh? Yeah, it was, uh, it was lovely. I hadn't seen... Uh, m- Many of the British cast for years. Uh, Greg Proust was over there, who I, I 
I, I see constantly. But uh, Josie Lawrence and uh, Mike McShane and uh, Paul Merton. Uh, so it was nice just uh, not only getting a chance to work with them again because they're fantastic to work with, but also just a chance to catch up personally. Yeah. Well, I know with all the you know different types of comedy that there are, you know, sketch, stand up. Uh, ben and I personally agree that improv is probably the most difficult while also being the most rewarding um, when a joke hits, you know, hits big. What what is it that made you want to get into improv out of all the different kinds of comedy out there? Uh, I when I was in theater school, I saw a demonstration of it, um, and I thought this is something I think I'd I'd like to try. I uh, you know in theater school, I I had sort of been um, I would always get the comedy roles because that seemed to be my my strength, and I thought this was a a different way to use uh, whatever skills I had, and I was very fortunate at the time I joined. There was just an amazing group of uh, people who were improvising. Uh, it's where I first met Ryan Stiles, and um, there were a lot of great writers and uh, people in television. So I, I learned a lot in those um, early years of improv. And also, I'm basically lazy. Um, <laughs> and the best thing about improv is you just kind of show up and make up crap, and then you're done. It's the perfect job for a guy like me. Uh, now, I know... Um you know, obviously, you've been a part of Who's Line for as long as I know, at least as long as I can remember. I, I mean, I don't think there's really been an episode that I've seen that you haven't been on, uh, and, you know, as, par, as far as both the UK cast and the US cast. Um, yeah, the UK, uh, it took a while for me to uh, ingratiate myself with the, uh, <laughs> uh, the people there. My, my first show wasn't, um, well, how can I put it? I sucked. <laughs> so that made it difficult. But uh, God bless Dan Patterson and Mark Levinson who produced the show because they, they felt that uh, there was something there that they could use. And so um, they brought me back. And it wasn't until maybe the last three seasons that I was in every show. It was always they would promise me a couple because they didn't quite trust me. And then um, it, it sort of worked out. Uh, I kept doing that. Then when it went to the uh, American, even though uh, – what. When Drew was before Drew was involved, they actually wanted to get rid of uh, you know Ryan and I, and wanted handsome, good-looking improvisers. Uh, you know, good luck. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I know the show ran in the UK probably for about a good ten years, and then it had a, a really impressive run in the US too when it came over. I think for about a good eight or nine years, and now it's it's back on the CW, and you guys just got renewed for your third season on the on the CW, which is great. Yeah, it's like a vampire. You just can't kill it. It just keeps coming back, sucking more blood, uh, maybe sleeping for a while, then comes back. Um, um, no, go ahead. Um, and I, I think for this incarnation, I really have to thank um, the Internet. Um, a lot of us have been touring. Brad Sherwood and I have been touring for 11 years. And we found in the last couple of years, our audiences have actually been getting younger, and it's all because of YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, kids that weren't born when the... Uh, British or the first American show uh, was happening, I've sort of caught up with it. So there sort of was this groundswell of uh, appreciation for the show. And it always seemed to me like a no-brainer for a network to put it on. I mean, it, it's the cheapest show in the history of television. Um, and it, it reaps great dividends. So I, I, always, I was always surprised that no one tried to bring it back. 
Yeah. What is the the most expensive part is probably that box of props you guys get. Are those found in like dumpsters? <laughs> oh, I wish you were kidding, but you know what? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> that box of props is worth more than the four improvisers. <laughs> Um, one thing I've always been curious about is through the run of the show, it's had numerous hosts. I mean, you had Clive Anderson in the UK uh, who hosted th- through the course of that show. Then you had Drew who hosted when it came back in the US. And now you have Aisha Tyler. Um, and I've always personally been a, more, a bigger fan of Drew as a host, not because there's anything wrong with Aisha or Clive, just but mainly because I feel – Drew opened himself up to potentially being part of uh, the butt of the joke as well as participating in the games, which I always found a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel that the host is a large part of the of the show in itself or the outcome of the situations, or do you think it really just doesn't matter who the host is at that point? Oh, you could put anyone in there. Where are the stars? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> that's not true. Uh, the host does sort of set the tone. I mean, Clive is, was so uh, quintessentially English, and he had that sort of dry sardonic manner that uh, um, Greg Proops loved. And uh, Drew was um, so so American, and he was also a big fan of the show. I think that was also part of his appeal. He would laugh louder at us, I think, than the audience would. And uh, God bless, when they, you know, he always fought um, having to do the improvising. He would always say, you know, these guys are the guys who do it. I, 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 just a stand-up, I'd rather just sit and watch. Uh, but they made him do it, and God bless him. He would set up um, a weekly thing at the Improv on Melrose in L.A. where we would go out and uh, do an hour of, of improv just so he would sort of get more relaxed with it. Um, Aisha, the trouble with Aisha is, you know, she's beautiful, she's smart, she's a nerd. There's nothing about her that we can make fun of. So we're still trying to find that, but we'll find it. <laughs> well, I mean, at the, at the rate you guys are going, like I said, just renewed for the third season, it seems like you'll have plenty of time because, uh, you know, I'm sensing perhaps hopefully another long run, uh, you know, of this series iteration as well. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, you always hope. The, the thing about um, this business is you, you never know from uh, a day to day. I would think we're... I mean, I think we're one of the highest-rated shows on the CW right now. So I, I think as long as that keeps happening, uh, they'll keep us going. But, uh, you know, as I say, things change. So um, as long as they keep bringing us back, we'll keep doing it because it really is um, the best of all possible gigs. Yeah. It's like three weekends out of the year. It's goofing around with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's really hard to find a, a, better, a better job. Yeah. Well, I think to me the hardest part, if I ever had to do an improv, and I don't think I'd be able to, but if I did, I think the hardest part would be doing the bit or you know play, doing the game when it comes to whose line and, and not laughing. And, and you seem uh, to be one of the the people who, out of everybody, is the best at, at being able to get through it without you know breaking. What are what are you know some techniques that you use so that you know you kind of don't laugh and, and don't, you know, break during the bit or even just to hone and improve uh, your improv skills? Uh, well, the first thing is I don't really find the others amusing. <laughs> so that really helps. Uh, they've yet to do anything that I find funny. Um, I mean, part of, well, part of it is just stubbornness that I'm not going to break up. I want to uh, get through the scene. And 
Also, when you see someone else start to laugh, that's when sort of your killer instinct comes in and you think, oh, okay, I'm just going to make it worse for them. And that makes it easier for you, actually. If someone else is uh, breaking up on stage, you can just sort of sit back and go, oh, well, isn't that unprofessional? That's horrible. <laughs> um, so I, I'm lucky. I mean, there is such a sense of joy and pride when I make one of those guys uh, break up because, you know, they're all pretty jaded. They've all seen all kinds of comedy for many years. So when you actually make them laugh, you do feel like you've accomplished something. Uh, you know, not like curing cancer, but still, it's something. Yeah. I mean, I know you had mentioned it earlier, you know, about Drew and how Drew had laughed, you know, would laugh louder, you know, than the crowd would sometimes. And I think some of those were probably some of my favorite moments because Drew's laugh to me was so infectious. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. It was quite infectious. And he, he would... Um, actually cry, which <laughs> yeah. make, was so endearing uh, to actually make someone laugh till they cry like a little girl. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful job to have. Um, and I know like something else I was a big favorite of, too, is it's right along the same lines as you, as Adam said, you know, being able to to hold off and not break. Ryan was pretty good at that, too, in my opinion. But it seemed like yeah. you were the only person who could make him break. And the moments when Ryan broke, I found hysterical. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I mean, part of that, well, we've known each other for uh, you know, over 30 years. We, we basically started doing improv together uh, in Vancouver. So we have a, a long uh, professional and personal history. So a lot of times the things that make him laugh are in-jokes that I don't even know about. <laughs> and he'll, he'll just start laughing. And then afterwards I said, what was that about? There was one. Um, there was one greatest hits where I said tapioca. I remember that. And <laughs> it just dissolved, and I had no idea why. And afterwards, I said, "Why did you? What was it about that that made you break up?" And he said, um, "You sounded like Colonel Clink," <laughs> which is like one of the most random things. <laughs> and it wasn't something I was playing up. It was just. Uh, it was just bizarre, but it it, it just dissolved him, and um, I'm very proud that it did yeah it seems like every time you guys do the uh i don't remember the exact name but is it just called the hands game where he uses your hands yeah um it, it seems like at that time every time he sh you're shoving something into his his mouth uh is usually the best time to catch him you know breaking a little bit yeah it's you know He's pretty much at my mercy. I mean, I'm shoving my hands in his mouth and <laughs> doing things I certainly would not do in real life because yeah, of uh, certain laws. But um, <laughs> he is at his most vulnerable at that point. Yeah, I think he uh, you, he licked your fingers last week or the week before or something like that. Last week. Oh yeah, well that he does in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't doubt it. I do not doubt. It. Um. Over the run of the show, I know you guys have worked with a number of different, you know, guest celebrities who have come on and comedians. I know you've worked with Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Stephen Colbert, Kathy Griffin. And now with the CW iteration, you have celebrities like Misha Collins, Lauren Cohan, uh, Jack Osborne. Do you find it difficult uh, to incorporate people like that who might not have a background in, in improv when you, got, when you guys are going for the joke? Um, it, yeah, there's a certain level of difficulty because you don't. Um, usually when you're improvising, you're improvising with people you know uh, at least um, more than a, a passing uh, acquaintance. So when the new people come on, um, you know, you also want them to enjoy the experience. So you're, you're trying to make sure um, 
you're building up their confidence, trying not to make fun of them, making sure they're a part of the scene. Mm-hmm. It's it, but it it can be tough, especially um, a lot of the young women that come on the show. Uh, they're put into the living scenery scene where Ryan and I have to do things with them, yeah. use their bodies and way. And that's a little uncomfortable, especially at this point where we're clearly at least twice their age. So it immediately, my thing is how do I touch this woman's breasts without making it seem creepy? Yeah. I have yet to find the answer. I don't think there is one. I, I don't think there is. So you, you try to, uh, you know, uh, just get through it. But what I have to um, what I can say about all the guests that come on is they're totally committed to doing it. I mean, I can't imagine um, another scenario where a person would go into a field where they have no experience and are just willing to do it. Yeah. So, you know, I give them kudos just for coming on and doing You know, we've been working together for over 20 years, so um, it's a fairly well-oiled machine. And, and for them to jump into that, it would be like if I went to... Um, you know, some brain tank somewhere who are trying to figure out um, how to split the atom. I, I, you know, I'd be totally out of my, um, well, no, I wouldn't because I've actually done that. So that's all right. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I give them full points for, for coming on and taking the chance to look like a complete idiot. Yeah. Um, one of the names I didn't list in that um, I kept out for a reason, mainly because it's one of my favorite episodes, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. I know one episode that you did, and it's kind of sad now, um, unfortunately, because of his recent passing, but you did an episode with Robin Williams as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm just wondering, just from my own personal you know, curiosity, how was it working with him? Because it seemed like he just had so much fun, and he just loved just being a part of that. It was truly one of the highlights of my uh, career to be able to work with Robin. I, I, you know, I saw when I first saw him in Mark and Mindy, I had um, what I think the probably the same feeling he had the first time he saw Jonathan Winters. I just thought this is amazing. Who is this guy? What's he doing? And um, he was shooting um, one-hour photo up in Vancouver, so he he just basically flew down and he had to fly back after the taping. Uh, for the next day shooting, and he was just um, amazing. Uh, first of all, he raised everyone's energy 150 percent. Mm-hmm. He was uh, just lovely to everyone, the crew, the audience, and all of us. I mean, he he was an Oscar-winning actor, and uh, he joined us, and he was just one of the guys. Yeah, uh, and he had such a great time, and the, um, he actually stayed longer than he was supposed to. He um, the last half hour of the taping is usually uh, the worst part because it's going over. Uh, as we're doing the show, the producer is cutting the shows um, into three or four different shows. Mm-hmm. So the last half hour to an hour is just the host going, all right, now we're going to play sound effects. And then you know we stand up as though we haven't done it before. And it's basically for uh, edit points during the show. And he didn't want to leave. And we, we had more fun. He was having so much fun with the audience and with us. It, it truly was um, not only a great uh, professional uh, point, but uh, personal, too, because I just saw this guy who didn't really have to be nice to us was just amazingly sweet. I mean, right. I only knew him from that one time. Greg Proops knew him better. They're both from San Francisco and uh, stand-ups. And uh, Ryan had worked a couple of times with him. 
But from every report, it's just people first talk about how lovely he was and then talk about how funny he was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the biggest things that showed during that episode is the, the chemistry everybody had together, and and that's the one of the most important parts, I guess, about improv is chemistry with everybody, especially when it involves, you know, two, three, four people. Um, oh, yeah. What's what's I mean, the process? Go ahead. I don't go on. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, what's the process like, you know, when you're trying to find, you know, somebody new or adding a guest like that, um, or, you know, what do you do when two members maybe don't quite get along as they are normally? Uh, you just get through it. I mean, in, in theory, you should be able to work with any other improviser. We all have the same vocabulary. We know what the rules are. Um, but there are some times um, it doesn't work, and it doesn't necessarily mean because it's someone you, you, you don't get along with personally. There's just sometimes for whatever reason, um, things uh, don't meld. When I was at Second City, um, there was a guy there, Patrick McKenna, who is a very successful uh, Canadian actor and uh, one of my best friends. And for the first four months we were in the company together, we couldn't improvise together. And it was really frustrating because I find him very funny and uh, enjoyed it. And then we realized it was because we were both being very polite with each other and waiting for the other one to sort of take charge. And then once we figured that out, it was just, it just sort of liberated us. And um, then he became one of my favorite people to work with. So you never, it could be just the slightest thing that can, um, you know, set off the, the, the chemistry, as you say, but uh, keep at it. I mean, with Ryan, it was pretty much there from the very beginning. From the very first time we improvised, um, it, it just worked. And with some other people, it takes a little while to get the, the chemistry going, but you, you can do it. Right. Um, well, I know um, – go ahead, Ben. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, obviously, you know, with you and Brad touring, I'm sure you guys have some good chemistry and, and stuff like that. I mean, um, you guys – unfortunately, we had missed you when you were in our area most recently. We are in the, the Philadelphia area, and you were at Easton, I think, last fall. Yeah, um, oh, we're coming and, back in November, so – yeah, I know you're going to be, I think, in York, uh, Pennsylvania in November, and then you won't be back to Easton until November 2015. Um, and I know people can go to colinandbrad.com for tour dates. I mean, does that always, you know, are you touring while the show is filming as well? Yeah, um, the, the filming of the show is so, uh, as I say, it's three weekends. So it doesn't take a lot of time. Um, we usually do it in January or March when um, the tour is just starting up again. Right. Uh, and they work around, or they try to work around everyone's schedules. You know, Wayne's busy with uh, let's make a deal. Ryan's busy with other things. Uh, it's actually amazing that they can get us all together. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we uh, we do a lot of traveling. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot the, of traveling. The show is obviously very popular because I mean, as Adam said, you know, you guys are back. I, I looked at the tour dates to see when you were coming back to Easton. I saw you the last time you were in Easton. And I've seen you actually two or three times already. And what I love about going to see your show is that it, because it's improv, it's a completely different show every time. And yeah, you know, you and, and, and because uh, because we do come back to places uh, often, we most of the work that Brad and I do on the show are coming up with different games and trying to find different ways of doing the show so that it is totally different. Uh, 
um, most of that in, is trying to find different ways of getting suggestions so we get things from the audience we've never had before, getting the audience to act, uh, you know, getting an audience to shout out things other than gynecologists and proctologists. <laughs> it can be difficult sometimes. So it's trying to find a way to couch the question so you get something that makes them think, um, you know, a little outside the box, a little outside of uh, the world of normal, and yet give us something to work with. Yeah. I, I remember one of the times I'd seen you was actually at Millersville University, and this was probably about five years ago. And just one of the running jokes that you guys had going all night was the pronunciation of Lancaster, whether it was Lancaster or Lancaster. And it was just part of the show for the rest of the night. And it just showed me like how brilliant the improv is between you and Brad and the chemistry that you guys actually do have when you travel. Yeah, I mean, we, this is our 11th year. Uh, I've known him uh, over 20 years. So, again, all of that worked towards us having a great relationship. I mean, I, I, um, you know, it, it's hard for bands to go for 11 years mm-hmm. <laughs> touring, uh, and we're still absolutely loving it. And part of it is um, I think we have the same sort of uh, work ethic and the same um, just sort of love of improv and the fact that, um, you know, it is different every night, so we never get into a rut. It's not like we have to go out there and do our greatest hits every show. Every show is its own beast and every show has a different running joke because of uh, something we've gotten from the audience or something that's happened that day so uh, I can see this going until both hips go <laughs> well I mean some of the stuff that you guys do I it's I have to ask who which one of you two nutcases came up with the mousetrap game Brad Brad yeah Brad that... has a real dark uh <laughs> streak in him. Uh, yeah, the mouse traps game, we're blindfolded, barefoot, and doing a scene on 100 live mouse traps. Um, and usually the improv at that point isn't that great. But the audience <laughs> just loves watching us hurt ourselves. And we've tried to sort of ease it out of the show because it's, for many reasons, it's not one of our favorite games. Can't imagine. But the, they, uh, the audience revolts if we don't do it. So we're we're constantly uh no matter how great the show is there's that moment where you go ah man now it's mouse traps yeah it's just the worst um i know we're getting ready to wrap things up and i one final question about the tour and everything because we're definitely going to send people to the website because like as i said i've seen it and i want to send other people to see you guys because it's absolutely hysterical um you play the tour mainly goes in smaller venues as does the Who's Line show. Uh, is there something about that smaller audience that appeal that appeals more to improv? It's uh, you know improv is a more uh, intimate art. I mean we uh, most of our the theaters we play are you know anywhere from a uh, thousand to twenty five hundred, and that's even that's uh, a little big. We once did a show for ten thousand at it. Coliseum. It was just wow. <laughs> insane. I mean, they had screens, but it just asking for a suggestion. It, it, you couldn't hear anything. Yeah. Um, so we we enjoy the smaller venues. We actually uh, a couple of years ago were doing um, a couple of weeks up at Just for Laughs in Montreal, and it was like a three hundred seat theater, and that was great. It, that was like going back to our roots, where we'd be working in smaller places. Um, it, it, it's fun, and it, it's with the bigger places. It's it's um, 
I, I think we've become kind of successful in including everyone and um, making it seem a lot more intimate than it is, but it, it can be a tough, uh, tough time sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, I know we're getting to the end of our time, but usually how we like to wrap up our interviews is we like to do what we call our rapid fire. Um, All right. And basically how that works is Adam's just going to shoot a couple questions at you. They're real quick. They're not anything too detailed. Just answer with the first thing that pops into your head. All right. Yeah, but before we get started, I know uh, we, we might be talking actually to Brad at some point in the next couple of weeks. Do you have any uh, any advice for us when we talk to him? Should we hit on any topics? Um, yeah, topic? don't actually tape him. <laughs> uh, you won't get anything. You okay. just won't get a thing. We'll just do that. He'll one say some days. horrible things about me, and uh, <laughs> then he'll talk about his time on the dating game. It's just not worth it. <laughs> All right, good. I'll, I'll actually I'll write that down. I gotta remember. That. Yeah, right. write that down. Right. So let's get into the questions here. First one is, uh, who's one person that you've always wanted to improv with but haven't been able to? Oh, um, oh, Steve Carell. Oh, that'd be a good one. Um, next one, and, and Ben and I both differ on this. the answer to this question. What's your favorite game on Who's Line out of all the games that there are? Uh, greatest Hits. Okay. Okay. His is, so I get to sit down. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know my personal favorite scenes from a hat. I just, I love yeah. that game. Yeah, and, that's a fun game. And mine was yeah. the expensive props. Oh, props. <laughs> uh, can I tell you? Next to Hoedown, <laughs> props is the most hated game on Who's Line. Everything that comes out just looks like genitalia, and you can use it. So you just go, oh, oh well, I, I, I think I used cock last week. I can't do it this week. <laughs> I can't tell you how many yeah. times I can't tell you how many times I've heard throughout the run of the show, you know, burying Madonna or burying, you know, Pamela Anderson. Oh, exactly. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay, it's breasts or it's a penis or testicles. <laughs> They need to expand a little bit, I guess. Yeah, they do. Um, last one, and then we'll wrap up. If you never got into improv, what would you? What do you think you would have done, or what would you like to do? I'd be a street person, because I have no <laughs> skills. Um, <laughs> the fact that I'm making a living doing something that wasn't a job when I was growing up astounds me every day of my life. <laughs> well, I really must... can't do anything else. <laughs> you must be good at it. I well. I, you know, I got I, you famous are. at it, so that helped. <laughs> um, well, I know, I'm, I know Adam and I are both huge fans of you, so we definitely want to thank you for joining us tonight. And um, we want to send people your way. Uh, obviously, check out Whose Line Is It Anyway on Monday nights on the CW at 8 o'clock, 7 central. Uh, your website is colinmockery.com, but we want to send people also to colinandbrad.com to check out tour dates. And we encourage people to follow you on Twitter, at colinmockery. So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, Colin, this was uh, awesome. But like I said, we're both huge fans, so this was a great pleasure for us. Thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, well, thank you. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Uh, to everybody listening, thank you for joining us tonight. Please check us out, www.nextlevelradioonline.com, and follow us on Twitter, at NXT Level Radio. In the meantime, we'll see you around the bend, guys. Take care. All right. So a few months back, we had a great opportunity to talk to Colin Mockery, who would you know from, uh, from Whose Line Is It Anyway? And our guest tonight is someone who I guess you could call his other half, at least on stage. So please welcome to uh, the show our guest, the Brad Sherwood. Brad, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. I'm here to set the record straight on all of the fabrications and lies that uh, Colin perpetrated <laughs> on your show. <laughs> it's, it's funny you bring that up, too, because uh, like I said, when we spoke to him a couple months ago, he, we asked him for advice 
on what to say to you when we got the chance to talk to you. And he pretty much told us we shouldn't even tape it, that we wouldn't get anything out of you. Uh, you pretty much just talk about your time on the dating game. Yeah. He's, he's uh, pretty bitter. You know, <laughs> most people get... You know, in most partnerships, one is the funny one and one is the good-looking one. And somehow I got both those cards, so I'm not sure what he does. <laughs> well, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get this interview down and uh, we're taping anyway against his yeah. better judgment. <laughs> so, um, Whether we use it is another story. Um, at least, yeah. We'll use it. I'm sure we'll use it. <laughs> Uh, so you're back on tour with Colin, and your tours seem to be never-ending. I mean, you're you're one of the few touring acts that, that I've ever seen that has dates booked probably like a good two years in advance. And I'm kind of hoping the answer to this question is no, because I love seeing you guys. I've seen you guys at least three times. I plan on seeing you even more. Uh, there's no no chance of this show ever coming to an end anytime soon, I would assume. Yeah, well, this is, we call this our part-time job, and we've now been doing it for going on 11 years. <laughs> so uh, we are happy uh, to do it, and we both love performing in front of a live audience. That's bo- I, I think we both have a background in theater and live comedy. So to get a chance to improv, which is our favorite thing, and to be on stage the whole time, uh, it's just sort of a dream gig for us. So we literally gave it a try. Uh, way back when, as, a, as an offshoot from when, you know, the whole gang would do Super Bowl shows in Vegas, and there'd be like 10 or 12 of us on stage, you'd get up and you'd do a game, and then you'd sit on the stools and wait for like four games before you got back <laughs> up again. So, uh, you know, we were, we were kind of like the special teams on a football team, so you, you only get to kick a field goal once every, you know, 30, 40 plays. So we liked getting on stage and being up there the whole time, and we've sort of never stopped because people keep coming to see us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you've been doing it for 11 years now, and you know, other than probably popularity-wise, uh, what's been different for you guys uh, while you're touring now compared to when you started? Because I mean, 11 years ago, that's 2004. I don't even know if smartphones were as prevalent as they are now. So I mean, I gotta imagine a lot has changed in the past 12, 11, 12 years. Uh, you, you know, I mean. We always tell people not to record our show on their phones, but invariably after every performance, there's, you know, videos up on YouTube, uh, which then expose the fact that we do the exact same show every single night. No, uh, you know, I mean, we, there are bits, you know, we always sing a goodnight song and uh, we do the mousetrap game, so people always want to tape that stuff. And they tape their friends when the friends are dragged up on stage. So it's kind of hard to keep them from doing it, you know, the... The people that promote our tour every once in a while will go on YouTube and, you know, send a, a, a cease and desist order to you, YouTube about some video that's up there. But, uh, I mean, it doesn't really matter to us. But uh, I would say that uh, as far as what has changed, I would say actually the, the phones now that they all have the little uh, flashlight light with the camera. Yeah. Now, now at the end when we sing and do stuff, uh, they hold them up. It's kind of like being at a concert. <laughs> oh, that's with, cool. With the lighters. From back in the 80s. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, uh, you said all the, you know, the goodbye song that you do in the Mousetrap game. And I, I had personally asked Colin about the Mousetrap game. And I-, I asked him, you know, where it had come from. And he said that it came from your dark, demented mind. Um, and that you guys have actually at some point tried to ease it out of the show uh, just because, you know, it- it's one of your least favorite games. And I'm- I can only imagine why it's one of your least favorite games that you guys do. But the audience just loves it too much. Uh, can we still count on seeing it during this this tour? 
Yeah, it's it's sort of the beast that we can't kill, uh, and I can't take full credit for it being my idea. It's not my idea. It, it was an old, weird improv game that was in this sort of compiled list of crazy ideas from hundreds of improvisers from around the uh, country uh, and really around the world. There was a group called Theater Sports, and they still exist in some cities around the country. Uh, and a bunch of them had compiled all the different ideas and games, and so it was just in the back of this. It was kind of the Necromicon, what is it called, the Necromonicon? Ne- the Necromicon, uh, yeah, now I forget. Yeah. No, ne- Necromicon <laughs> that... is when dead people go to Comic-Con. Go to Comic-Con. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so anyway, actually... whatever that book is, covered with dead flesh, uh, yes. Uh, it was the improv version of that, and I, I sort of, we, we chanted the idea to do this and now we can't kill it <laughs> yeah i think colin called the it the audience loves it just that much yeah colin called it the va- uh, vampire just because no matter how you, you just can't kill it no matter what you try and do with it yeah and you know we hate it because it hurts our feet and we <laughs> feel like we've been doing it long enough that nobody wants to see it anymore and we can feel a palpable disappointment if we don't do it so we're like okay this is going to be tied to us like a giant goiter for the rest of our lives. <laughs> I'm sure it hurts a little more than your feet, because I've seen those mousetraps placed in certain places uh, on your yeah. body alone from Colin that just that no yeah, mousetrap should go close to. For some reason, he seems to have a really good radar as to exactly the height and level of my junk at all times. <laughs> so he seems to, even when he's blindfolded, able to launch them right at my private parts. Uh, so... But I'm thinking of maybe like the Patriots. I'm going to deflate my balls a few percentage points, uh, so they don't hurt quite as much. Oh man. Um, well, I mean, obviously the tour is improv, but people do have tendencies to come up with the same ideas. Other than obviously, just I know Colin says a lot of people say like gynecology or something along those lines. But even just yeah. even stuff you actually want to pick, you know, people have the tendency to come up with the same idea. Um, you know, how often do the same audience suggestions come up when, and, and have you choose them? And when they do, do you go back to something you've used in the past that really hit big, or do you try and, and use something else that you know to make sure you switch it up every show? We try and switch it up because we're playing a lot of the same games. And, you know, if, if for, we just sort of, for a while now, we've retired a game called Moving Bodies, and we replace it with another game uh, called Living scenery where the audience does all the sort of the moving themselves and uh but for a while uh, you know because you're playing the game over and over again you want to reach for new suggestions because the last thing you want to do is somehow be in the same city three years later and accidentally take the same suggestion and then people are like well you did firemen for sound effects both times you were here so then they think we're doing firemen only all over the country you know so uh we actually recently came up with a way of shaking it up so that we almost never get the same suggestion twice. Uh, We used to come up with ideas for what to ask for before any particular game. And then uh, Colin had the idea to write down a bunch of sort of obtuse ways of asking for suggestions on cards, and he laminated them. And then before each game, so we had like ten cards, we we, uh, sort of fan them out for an audience person. They choose a card. So now we've already had a one in ten chance of the way we're asking for a suggestion happening again in that game. And then, based on whatever they're asking for, because they're way more vague and less specific than just, like, a dangerous occupation, which was a common one we used to have, yeah. uh, it really spins the wheel of randomness so that we 
almost never would get a suggestion. However, if within a in, within a couple of days, if we ask for something and uh, like an adventurous um, activity, if we get if we got kayaking and then someone else yelled out kayaking, we'll say, oh, we just recently had that, so we you know throw that one away and take the next thing. Yeah, because we don't want to do the same things over and over again. Yeah, no, I, that's and that's good. I mean, like yeah. I said, I've seen you. Yeah. A couple times, and it's been a different show every time. So it's, you know, I think that's one of the things that makes your your tour so great. Um, well, well, I think we play better when we're launching off into you know the unknown. There are certain things like even in the in the uh, mousetrap game. If you've seen that more than once, there are a couple of things in that that kind of happen the same because that's sort of like a just a classic goofy thing that we do. So uh, some classic bits with him trying to you know get me yeah are gonna happen but the you know we, we say that our show is basically 99.99 percent <laughs> improvised you know so so if you have if we do yeah. a two-hour and 15-minute show and there's like one or two minutes of, of little nuggets that you might have seen before so be it yeah so I don't... there's not much there's not much you can change uh when you're constantly being attacked by mousetraps there's, there's <laughs> you can only react and paint so many different ways yeah, it's the least improv game that we do because it's such a physical gimmick. Um, so that's why we, like, really try to raise the stakes and keep innovating and coming up with new games um, as, you know, as many as we can. Each year that we go out, we come up with a couple of new ones. And so that makes it fun for not only the audience that comes back and they're like, okay, every time we do go see them, we see at least two or three new games that we never saw before. You know, so uh, we owe it to them, and I, we play better when we're playing scared i think the better you are as an improviser the better you do when you truly launch yourself into the unknown yeah um i, I know from seeing you on whose line uh, i know that in being, uh, impressions are a big part of you know the games that you guys played and you yourself have done quite a few different ones i mean you did springsteen bob dylan jimmy stewart uh, and i know two of my personal favorites were mick jagger and and fred schneider from the b-52s which uh, you had done quite a few times uh, those impressions to me were pretty spot on, and and one of the things I've always wondered when it comes to impressions like that, w- were those impressions that ones that you intentionally learned, or were they such, just something you discovered on your own, just messing around and doing different improv along the way? Well, the the, the funny thing is, I before I did Who's Line, I had never done any type of <laughs> musical improv where I was directly spoofing or impersonating existing artists. But when we, when we were doing greatest hits on that show, they wanted to send up a bunch of different people. So we would do, you know, musical style. I don't want to call them rehearsals, but they just wanted to see what we might do if, you know, can we do an adequate spoof of, say, the Rolling Stones or the B-52s? They just wanted to know that we could do it enough that we might plausibly pass as, oh, this is a tip of the hat to that. So... It wasn't until literally in a, in a meeting with the producers and just sort of hearing the kind of music that the band might play, and they threw B-52s at us, but I just started singing the way I thought Fred Schneider sounded in my head, having grown <laughs> up listening to the B-52s, and everybody started laughing. I was like, oh, I guess this sounds exactly <laughs> like it. So that and uh, Mick Jagger and Springsteen, all these literally... I found out about them the day Whose Line found out that I could do them. <laughs> I, I was not the guy that walked around with this bag of impressions 
that he could do. I remember I could do Kermit when I was a kid. That was like, I could do some of the Muppets. I liked to pretend to be the Muppets, but I, I was not an impersonator or doing impressions at all. You know, so I was literally trying to come up with them on the spot when they did. There was some game we played. I don't think they played it for years, but it was uh, bad impressions, and we just had to start doing a scene. It was kind of like the questions game. I, yeah. Every time we came into the, yeah. the scene, we had to come in as a different person, and I invariably, like, the only ones I could do were James Mason, James Stewart, and the rest were cartoon characters. <laughs> I had never done that before. So I think I've been pegged over time as one of the guys that does impressions. Like, that's been, you know part of my arsenal my entire life and it really wasn't until they asked me to do it yeah and frank caliendo of music impressions (laughs) oh yeah um doesn't he do music too i don't Uh, know i don't know um i know i've always been amazed rich little and frank caliendo those guys have always amazed me so yeah i can get away with it by doing it while i'm singing because then i'm just basically trying to replicate the what i heard on the radio yeah um i just i just actually just had a question pop into my head that um it's something I, I was always curious about, and I don't know if it's a secret of the games or whatever, uh, but maybe you can help shed a little light on it a, as well. I know when you guys played like greatest hits and things like that, it always it always made me wonder because um, I know a lot of the things that happen behind the scenes. I, I watched like a good like forty minute gag reel of Who's Line that just cracked me up. So I know obviously there's production breaks and things like that were in the show, but when it comes to um, you know, the musicians that were on. At, at Lauren Hall, I think, was the piano player? Yeah, um, Laura Hall, yeah. Laura Hall. Linda Taylor. And, and Linda Taylor. Whenever Colin and Ryan would come up with the music style to give them, w- would they come up with that and play that right on the spot? Or were they kind of prepped beforehand that these are the styles that they might mention? Uh, yeah, they were, those guys were... Those, what, the way it would work is the music singers, like me and Wayne... We would have a music rehearsal with uh, the producers and Linda and Laura. And they would sort of ask them, what would you play if we did a, you know, could you do sort of a rip-off? Uh, this is the producer's voice. Could you do like a, a, a Rolling Stones uh, something? You know, and then they would start riffing on that. And then they would say to us, okay, uh, so, and then they would turn to a PA or something and say, uh, give us a title for... Uh, songs of the dentist and they would go my tooth hurts and they say okay do do a rolling stones of my tooth hurts and then uh linda and uh laura would like maybe play something like gimme shelter or whatever and then wayne and i would just sing like two lines of that so they would see if stylistically that would be entertaining for the show does it sound enough like a rolling stones that we would go okay that sounds like rolling stones and was it a tempo that would move fast enough that we could get out a couple of lyrics and verses in a quick amount of time, because everything kind of had to be a fast version of whatever type of music we were spoofing. Yeah. And so then they would they would make their notes like, oh, that's a good one. Okay, yes. Uh, so we can do a we can do a Rolling Stones, and we can do. So then in that rehearsal, they would they would find ten to fifteen that they really liked that Wayne and I did together. And then from those, they would, from those 10 to 15, they would decide which ones they wanted to see on the show. And then they would give, like, I don't know how many of those to uh, Colin and Ryan. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, because I, I knew that so, the I knew that the lyrics that you or you and Wayne were coming up with were improv, obviously, because they were coming from yeah. suggestions from the audience. But right. I, I was just always curious about the style and always knew, wondered if Laura, you know, and Linda were so quick, like musically improv, you know, or improv musically like that, that they could come up with that. So that was something that always yeah, I was they, always curious they, about. Yeah, they, they would, they and Ryan and Colin would have a, just advanced notice of like. Because they would usually give us like three songs, so they probably want to give us five just so that they could choose the best three. Yeah, you know, for the show. Right. So before the show, the only prep that those guys would all have is what five genres they were going to throw at us, and 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 uh, Wayne and I would have no idea. We wouldn't know what style it was going to be, and then obviously. Uh, we wouldn't know what the subject matter or the title was going to be till the moment uh, it was thrown out by Ryan and Colin, who were making up the titles on the spot based on what the occupation was. Yeah. Well, well, speaking on improv in general, I mean, I know uh, whose line would use four, sometimes five. You know, when the guests would come on, and then obviously with you and um, Colin, it's two. How many players would you say is too many when it comes to improv? I mean, have you ever done like? Seven, six, seven. You know what I mean, like a, an all-star type of thing where you have a bunch of guys out there. Yeah, it's it, you know, there's a traffic pattern problem the moment there are three people on stage. <laughs> okay. Because a conversation is between two people. Right. So, you know, and if something is dramatic and happening between those two people, the third person, by nature, in a conversation, is going to have to find ways to get into that conversation. Yeah. That's okay. just, yeah. So when you have, if I say something, Colin responds, and then his response, I have to respond to. So there's a natural flow between two people improvising because they're just reacting back and forth like in tennis. Right. But now imagine you're playing tennis uh, with, you know, a, a sort of a, a Y-shaped net, and each guy is on a third of the court, and you don't know which way the ball's going to go, but the ball can only be hit by one person at a time. Yeah, yeah, that okay, makes that makes, yeah, that makes perfect so, sense. So if I'm hitting the net, if I'm hitting the ball over to you, uh, then, you know, Adam is on the other net waiting for it to come back to me, I mean, to come to him. So he's always going to be temporarily dormant until the ball is coming to him, and then between the two that are hitting, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I, yeah, no, that I, does. I think that I think the, the um, nature of any conversation is speaking and responding and speaking and responding, and the third person, uh, who whatever the accusation was not levied toward, literally has to butt in or interject or stop the flow of what right. if you and I are having an argument. He has to jump in at the last, you know, to get his words in. Yeah, I I think um, the San, stand sit Neil game would probably be a good example of the confusion that having a third yeah. person in yeah. would be. Um, well, I mean, and also with improv, I mean, it kind of benefits from the knowledge of, of pop culture and current events, especially when it comes to some, you know, jokes. Um, do you go out of your way to stay in tune with that kind of stuff, like what movies and shows are popular or current events, or does that kind of come naturally to you? Um, you know, I, I just, I have a curious mind, so I don't, like, pour over, we certainly don't do a lot of political or, you know, current events stuff. And, and our show, because we're bringing audience members up on stage and we're, you know, playing games, there's not going to be a bunch of, you know, pop culture people references like Lindsay Lohan or Kim Kardashian or whatever. There might be a joke if someone says something about a big butt, 
then, uh, you know, a Kim Kardashian <laughs> reference could come in. But we don't All have right. to sort of absorb everything that way. But it's certainly good to know about, you know, genres and styles so that you can uh, spoof them. And you, you don't want to be completely oblivious to waves that are, you know, sweeping the nation. You know, like, uh, oh, what was that dance that Psy did? I've completely forgotten it. Oh, uh, Gangnam Style? Gangnam Style. Yes. Oh, thank <laughs> God that's already out of my mind. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Like, you don't want to miss that because that might come up and you want to be able to at least do a bad version of it you know i certainly wouldn't stand in the front of the mirror and try and do it but i in my brain having seen it on television if someone had said that as a suggestion uh i certainly wouldn't want to go what are you talking about yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um the the show obviously uh back to who's line for a second the show has obviously seen a couple different iterations you know from the british iteration and then over to america there's been two different ones um we haven't seen you as much in the new iteration of the show on cw um any chance that we're going to see you some more in this new season that's coming up yes i am shooting in march they're shooting some right now in january and i know i have uh, a tape day or two in march and of course they always get they generally get two to three episodes out of any one taping. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah. When, when, they, when they first brought it back, you know, the producers told me and Greg that they weren't sure we were even going to be on the show again uh, because the CW Network wanted lots of young, new, different <laughs> faces. They didn't want to feel like they were just buying the old ABC version. Yeah. You know, so they, they you know, put their fingerprints on it and, you know, added some new people and, uh, you know, finally on the second season, Greg and I both got to come back, which was very nice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you got to keep the old guard around at least for, you know, a courtesy visit. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, and with you and Brad Torrey, I mean, obviously you guys have great chemistry, so that, that obviously shows, you know, on the show as well as the tour. Yeah. Did you just say him you and know, Brad? Because he is Brad. Is like, That's why I said Colin. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I <don't> know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I have really good chemistry with myself anyway, so I <laughs> Um, yeah, because I, th I think CW did a good job at least um, – they, they kind of found a little bit of a niche by bringing on other stars to kind of participate with you guys in the games. Yeah. So I think that kind of keeps it a little younger and fresh at the same time. Yeah, well, they bring out a, a lot of people that are on CW shows too, which you know is great. Product placement makes sense to me. Yeah, because I think one of the episodes you were on, you were with Misha Collins from Supernatural, I, I think. Yes. Okay. Yes. And has Supernatural asked me to be on the show? No. That seems kind of rude. I, think. I would agree. Quid, yeah. quid pro quo. Um, besides Greg and obviously Colin and Ryan, I think you're one of the few people that has had the opportunity to be part of both the British version of Who's Line and uh, both American versions with, uh, with Drew and Aisha. Out of all three versions, do you, is there a certain host that you prefer between Clive or, or Drew or Aisha? Is there any one that, that are your favorite? Well, that, that, they're so different. It's, it, to me, they are all really funny people, you know, and I've actually known all of them for a long time. I knew Aisha. We were both doing uh, comedy. I was in an improv group that played The Laugh Factory in L.A. every Sunday night, and she was the host there on Sunday nights. And this was back in the 90s. So I have a really long... I've actually known her longer than either of the other two hosts. So, okay. you know, and she she is super funny and Drew was like one of my best buddies and, you know, he 
he laughed harder than anyone <laughs> yeah. in, at home watching this show. So he was like this great fuel sitting at the desk giggling like a little boy the whole time we were doing the show. So that was fun, and he was such an easy person to pick on, uh, you know, and, because he just, he just sort of begged for it, you know, and I mean, he would come up and do a game with us, and we all got to make fun of him for it. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, Clive was like, he was like the British... Uh, David Letterman, just super sarcastic and and snide. So you kind of you had to walk around him with a certain deference because you didn't want him to flay you open with a <laughs> sarcastic comment. So you know it, it's it's kind of fun because each show has had its own uh, host personality that adds to the personality of the show. Yeah. Now yeah. Aisha is totally a smartass, so she <laughs> like laps everybody in line almost like the sort of the the dominatrix teacher, you know, handing out the scores and, and making snarky remarks. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fun. And then, you know, Drew was like our goofy friend who was driving the bus that we sometimes put kick me signs on. You know, so it's like, it like these different, different relationships. Yeah, I loved Drew as the host. Because yeah. like you said, he would laugh harder than the, the audience sometimes and just... Yeah. His laugh was so infectious that any time he lost it, I lost it. Sitting watching at home, like I, I just loved that. I thought it was great. He's got a he's got a very infectious laugh. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always found it funny too the with, with with Drew back you know back when the Drew Carey show was on. Like, oh, I just remember when I was younger. Just I'm like watching Who's Line. I'm like, wait, all these people are like on on the Drew Carey show at one point or another, and it. it Thinking about it really makes me hope that or wish that show was still on the air because that was such a great show, and, and you know I mean it just it was so funny. Yeah, you did a couple. Well, ep- yeah. You did a couple yeah. episodes of Drew yeah. too, didn't you? You were the that host of the live shows. Yeah, I think we did three of them. Three, three seasons they had us come and do the Who's Line live, yeah. where we sort of <laughs> parachuted in and <laughs> destroyed the semblance of order of a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a favorite Who's Line game? Oh, it's so hard to say. I mean, I'm a big fan of the, the musical ones just because they're so challenging. Yeah. Literally, you, you hear a title and you're trying to make a contextual sense of what you're saying. It has to rhyme and it has to be funny. And then based on the style, you have to be singing it on key to notes that you don't know where they're going and do service to, if it's Bruce Springsteen, sort of sound like him. So you, it's kind of like the plate-spinning game, where you've got, a, you've got like intellectually eight plates going at the same time. Whereas most of the other games, you're just sort of in a conversation, hoping that you can say something funny to the guy that's saying something to you. Yeah. Yeah, I heard uh, Colin told me that my favorite game, the props game, is the most hated game on Who's Line. Yeah, it's it's you know it's just kind of it's like a riffing on cleverness. Um, I, I never minded it much just because when I was a kid I was a cartoonist, so I think sort of spatially and visually about what things are and sort of look like when they're not what they actually are. Yeah. But uh, I think it, it just went on too long. So in the live tapings, you know, there were usually three or four that were just not funny. So you've got all these really funny people doing like five really funny ones, and then three or four that just are like dud, you know. Yeah. And we don't like to do that. We don't. We don't yeah. like to be dragged into the dud zone yeah. uh, when we can be funny and all these other things. Actually, let's 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 be correct for a second, Adam. I think Colin said that it was his 
It was everyone's least favorite game behind Hoedown. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> um, well, Hoedown, yeah, is Hoedown because it literally ended every single show since the show began, basically. So Ryan and Colin, I don't think, have ever known an episode not singing Hoedown. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just... It's like we're done with it. That, that's, I think, how, why they feel that way. Of course, yeah. you know, I'm not doing every episode, so I'm just so excited to be there taping that I would sing, you know, ten hoedowns at a taping. Yeah. Uh, any plans to adapt any other Who's Line games to, to the tour while you guys are out? Uh, we're kind of always innovating. I mean, the key is it has to be a game that works well with just two players, and it has to be a game where if there is a caller that we, you know, that some, uh, a facilitator that somehow calls some aspect of the game, uh, that we can give that power to the audience. Yeah. You know, and it has to be the power that we can give them so that they can switch it up and change it if they need to. But there's a certain delicacy to comedic timing to know when and instinctually what is the best way to do that. So you you can't hand them the reins to drive a scene into the ditch, if that yeah. makes sense. I, I, yeah, I, you don't want to leave them so much responsibility that they're either undercalling or overcalling a game. So we have to always factor that part in to make it as goofy and silly. And we like to bring as many people up on stage as possible. So we're always trying to figure out how we can take old improv games and somehow bring an audience member up on stage for it. Yeah. I, I can't remember if this is a game I've seen you guys do or not. Have you guys ever done Quick Change on stage? Yeah, Quick Change. It's a, yeah, we call it New Choice. Okay. Uh, whose line calls it Quick Change? Uh, but yes, we, we used to do that all the time, and then we've sort of uh, done several variations of it. Okay. Um, and then we always did it with the gang in Vegas, too, for all the Super Bowl shows. Gotcha. Uh, on, on the flip side of that, are there any uh, ones that you guys came up with that you ended up getting onto Who's Line at some point? Or obviously yeah, not well, traps, but... Yeah, Quick Change, actually, which I oh, called okay. New Choice, was a so game that I came up with uh, in um, when I was teaching improv and theater sports way back when. That's pretty and, cool. Uh, and uh, the, the uh, sideways scene, uh, which they're doing now on Who's Line, we did uh, at Just for Laughs, uh, when we were hosting Just for Laughs in Montreal uh, a bunch of years ago. You can actually look it up on YouTube. Everything. Uh, we in our <laughs> yeah, we were in our tuxedos, and we did the sideways scene uh, where they, they call, we had them call different styles. So we did, played the styles game as a sideways scene, and it was really fun. And uh, so that was the first time that came to television. And now they're doing it on Who's Line, and they also did it on... Uh, a show called Trust Us With Your Life that the producers of Who's Line also did. Okay. Well, I, before um, before we let you get going, I have one more question. Like, I, I had watched a couple earlier interviews with you, um, and this was one, it had to be probably close to 10 years ago, but it was on, on a, some local TV station. And they pulled out a hat and, and pulled na or, you know little things out of a hat, just like uh, scenes from a hat, and they had you improvise on camera. Did, did that happen, and does that still happen very often? I mean, I, I gotta imagine that gets annoying after a while. To, I mean, you're you're there just to kind of to talk, and they kind of doesn't that feel like you're like dance puppet? Yeah, that was that was kind of a comedy <laughs> ambush. But looking back, I mean, it, as awful as awkward as it still makes me cringe when I watch it. it you know, it wasn't so as bad as it could about? be. Yeah, I, oh, I remember it. Yeah, <laughs> I remember it because it's the only time I let it happen. Because uh, okay. <laughs> 
because normally people will be like, okay, we were thinking of doing this, you know? And then you go, oh, I don't think that would be a good idea. <laughs> they didn't mention that. So they just, like, launched it on me when I, I was, I was actually doing You didn't seem like ahead. it was coming. <laughs> no, I had no idea. Okay. <laughs> and then they were like, I, I don't know what they were doing. as like, not scenes from a hat or one line, world's, like, what they were asking me to do was basically impossible. So I was... In my brain, I was like, okay, I have to come up with one line of funny things to say to whatever this scenario is. I lit- it, it literally has to be a one-sentence punchline that I am synthesizing from these, you know, morning show, you know, producers, hey, yeah. this would be funny type ideas yeah. that they have thrown into a hat. Yeah, I think so, the yeah. first one was about, like, uh, I think it was about... Some I think it might have been like an OJ thing. So like the first one was about like homicide. Yes, which is always <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, right, exactly. All right, so we'll we'll make a note of that. If we ever get to talk to Brad again in the future, do not improvise a game for him to do, or give him a heads up about it. For me. Yeah. <laughs> well, that like I, I was thinking, I'm like that never even crossed my mind to do that in an interview with someone doing improv. It's like that you do that all the time. You're here to just kind of talk. Radio radio shows always want us to do that. Like, when they invite us in to come to the radio station, they always want to play a game with us. And invariably, um, the only thing we ever offer to do with them is do a spoof radio show. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, oh, cool. it's like the only thing that actually will work because yeah. what we do is theatrical and is reliant upon getting audience reaction. You right. know, so it's almost like do a comedy show in a vacuum. Well, that's, you can't really do it. Just like <laughs> a stand-up would not want to do his act on at the radio station yeah. he would sit and have a conversation with them and then say funny things based on what's going on in the conversation right. but he wouldn't want to launch into the first two minutes of his set yeah but yeah because like you said there's no audience to kind of to gauge the yeah. reaction from yeah exactly so yeah it, it would be it would be death if you ask any bona fide established high level comedian to go on a radio show and just start their act they, nobody would want to do it. Yeah. It would be yeah. like, ah, that, it makes me cringe just thinking of it. Well, well it's like any time you watch like Last Comic Standing and the comics are auditioning for a panel of three people. Uh, you know, It's yeah. always kind of awkward and it's tough on the comedian too because you know, it's, the comedian can't even judge how their act is going without an audience. You yeah. know, it's just yeah, these three stone-faced judges. Yeah. So, uh, but you guys are back on tour right now. I know you're going to be coming back to our, we're in the Philadelphia area. You're going to be coming back to uh, our area November 21st, uh, and I know I will definitely be in the audience for that. Terrific! So, yeah, excellent. We'll come backstage and say hi when when you do. Uh, we, we would we would love to. We actually yeah. asked we asked Colin this, we asked Colin about that, and he said absolutely. You know, we could come back and meet you guys. So uh, that just reaffirms you know that you just said that too. So we will yeah. definitely yeah. take advantage of that. Yeah. I, and Colin is actually Colin is actually two foot three, but he wears these wrist <laughs> shoes, so you'll be surprised at just how short he is. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't seen a show yet, so I'm really excited for you guys to get back in town because I think uh, last time you were at that theater was like probably two years by the time you get back to it. So um, I don't even know that I knew you guys were coming to town. So now that I know and have a heads up, I'm definitely clearing my calendar because, like Ben said, I, I've heard you guys are fantastic, and I expect uh, I'm not surprised by that at all after seeing you guys. We always say we're the second funniest comedy show you will ever see. And when people say, well, what's the first? I say, well, just legally, we want that disclaimer. <laughs> you can't sue us and ask for your money back. <laughs> That's a good one. But, yeah, I um, pre- appreciate the invite, Brad. We'd definitely take advantage of that. Come back and meet you guys. We'd love to meet you guys. 
Great. So um, we want to point people to your Twitter account at the Brad Sherwood. Uh, and also your website, bradsherwood.com, as well as colinandbradshow.com, which is where people can yeah, find that one's, As far as websites go, that one's the one to check out because that one has all the updated tour information, colinandbradshow.com. Now, it may have a bunch of dates listed in January, but those are false because uh, Whose Line is taping right now. So oh, okay. Some of those have gotten moved, and hopefully they've updated it, but, you know, I'm, I'm relaxing at home and... <laughs> well, well we'll do the research and we'll make sure people are updated yeah. on that too yeah. so uh but this was Terrific. yeah this was a lot of fun brad thanks for spending some time with us tonight yeah man oh my pleasure my pleasure so and uh, i'll see you guys when we come to pennsylvania yeah all right uh, looking forward to it all right so, all right thanks brad no problem take care well, our guest this week is best known for his appearances on the show Whose Line Is It Anyway? But if you're a fan of comedy at all, I'm sure you've seen him many other places as well. TV, video games, movies, podcasts. He's done a bit of it all uh, pretty soon. A book. After all, he is the smartest man in the world. Please welcome to the podcast Mr. Greg Proops. Greg, thanks for spending some time with us. Hello, Adam. Hello, Ben. Hello, Philadelphia. <laughs> um, speaking of Philadelphia, so I know you're, you're out in California right now. And you're going to be coming out to Philly this coming weekend. Um, I hope you're prepared to dress warmly. Oh, my God. I'm not ready for it at all. I'm so not ready for it. I'm scared to death. (laughs) I mean, we had – yesterday we got lucky. We had probably like a good 40, 45-degree day. And to us – put shorts on, yeah. yeah, I drove drove around with my windows down. Like that's how nice it seemed. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not supposed to be cold this week, huh? Well, I think we're supposed to go down into like – Negative, I think below zero overnight again tonight. Yeah, negative five. Uh, <laughs> I hate weather. I really do, guys. I've been to Philly when it was rainy. Like I was there last year in the rain, and you know, and I've been there in the summer when it was boiling hot, and you just want to die. But uh, yeah, I'm not ready for it. I was in um, Vancouver over the weekend, and I was standing outside, and it was too cold for me there, and it wasn't that cold. So I'm really, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think just cry. <laughs> I would hate to break it to you, but I don't think it's getting above freezing, freezing while you're here. I know. I know. Sorry. I mean, I have, uh, you know, I have long underwear, and I will wear it on stage. That's the person I am. I've done it before, and I'll do it again. I have a parka. I have a beaver hat. I have all the gear. It's just, uh, oh, boy. <laughs> well, you'll be nice. Well, I'll stay in my room a lot, I guess. Yeah, you'll be warm inside the hotel. You should be all right. Sure. Um, we had an opportunity uh, last year to speak to Colin Mockery, and earlier this year, we sp- a couple weeks ago, we spoke to Brad. Um, unlike those two, when it comes to you, 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 those two do primarily improv comedy, which I know you do a lot heavily as well. But you also travel around doing stand-up at the same time, which I know those two don't do. Um, it, between the two of them, is there a type of comedy, whether it's improv or stand-up, that you prefer to do over the other one? Do you have a favorite? I like my podcast best of all. Um because I get to do whatever I want, and um, it's, I mean, I love stand-up. Um, I really do, because it, I, I think, I always thought stand-up was the most direct way of communicating, but I find that the podcast has been a way more personal experience for me and uh, your, your comedy people out there that like comedy, um, because it goes directly to them. People listen to it on their headphones or earbuds or in their car or on their bike or wherever they are, so it's, it's a real intimate experience, and when I do it live, I, I talk to everybody in the crowd before I do the show. I go out and meet everyone, which I would never do at a stand-up show because I think it 
erases the magic if you talk to them beforehand. Yeah. But in a podcast, yeah. it's a different matter entirely. And I was just on the road with uh, Ryan Stiles and Jeff Davis and Joel Murray. We're all in a group. And uh, we were just out on the weekend, and I absolutely had the most fun I've had in about 100 years. I mean, I, we've been working for 15 years together. Chip Aston was in our group, but he got on the show Nashville. So we put Joel in the group a couple years ago. But, okay. Um, I really laughed my ass off. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 we were really funny, and we were just loose. And so, but I, I still say, even saying that, I would still say that I like um, that I like stand up. I mean, uh, uh, the podcast goodest of all. Okay. Yeah, and, and like we said, you're going to be uh, for those listening in the Philadelphia area. You'll be at Helium Comedy Club on Thursday, the 26th of February through Saturday, uh, the 28th. Now, your first night at Helium, the 26th Thursday, is actually going to be a live taping of your podcast, right? The Smartest Man Absolutely. in the World. Absolutely. Your poopcast, as you call it. If the plane gets in, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, uh, and then, uh, so Thursday, or I mean Friday and Saturday, then will be uh, a stand-up. So those. I mean, essentially, you could go see, you know, someone could come out and see a Thursday and then come out and see a Friday. It's two completely different experiences then, right? Well, with the same person, yes. Two very yeah. <laughs> I mean, the podcast I did, I drank, I talk. Like I say, I talked to everybody beforehand. Uh, it's not like I'm mean during the stand-up, but it's a different thing. You know, I'm going to get up there, I'm going to knock out my act, uh, I'll probably riff on whatever's going on in Philly, and um, that'll be that then I'll go back to my room and hide. <laughs> hide away from the cold. Because it's so fucking cold, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I was going to ask you to tell us more about, you know, the, the Smartest Man in the World podcast, or Proopcast, which is what you call it. Uh, but, you know, you did see, you seem to do a good description of it already. Like as you said, you, you'll sit on stage, you'll talk to the people. Do you ever call people from the audience up to join you as part of the podcast? Uh, I don't, but uh, I often uh, take questions from the audience at the end of the show, so occasionally we do that at the show. So I set up a mic in the house, and uh, people get to talk with me uh, or at me or ask a question of me um, during the show. So they're sort of my guest. There's no guests on the show. It's just me blathering or dissembling, if you will, or expounding. Is there is there any type of um, bit type to it? Like, do you have anything prepared, or is it all kind of off the cuff? Oh, yeah. No, I, I think of lots of stuff. I have pages and pages of notes. Uh... I don't write what I'm going to say. Let me put it that way. I have notes on different articles. My wife Jennifer and I confer quite a lot on what we're going to put in the show. And uh, so I read newspaper articles, things off the Internet, um, items, obituaries. Uh, I play records. I get up and dance. I act <laughs> like an idiot. I talk about whatever's on my mind. I'll probably talk about all the other different times I've been to Philly um, at the show. Because, you know, Philly for me is an, uh, I never I never really played there till about three or four years ago. And up until then, I never really liked it. I always thought, having gone through the airport and everyone is in such a bad goddamn mood at the airport all the time, <laughs> like that, that Philly was some place with a bunch of assholes. Even though the comics I knew from Philly, like Paul Tompkins, were all as nice as could be. Um, yeah. So once I started playing there, I realized, oh, I get it. It's a, it's a thing. Well, and uh, so I really like Philly. And I, I enjoy playing there. I love the Italian food. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, New York without huh. the corporate bullshit. Well, I mean, in essence, you're still kind of right. I mean, being from Philly, we can honestly say that it, it is a city pretty much full of assholes. And it's just, you know, so you're not wrong. In a good way, though. Yeah. No, I mean, I did um, a pen a couple years ago, not a Penn State, a pen inside Philly. And they have a like a rags and bones thing they do, you know, like at their college. Uh, it's not called that. 
uh, like Harvard does, right? Because it's an old, old school, you know, from right. 1700s and whatnot. And, right. uh, and they had a, they have a special comedy guest every year. So I went and I did the show with them, and I had to learn the sketches on the day. And then I, I did stand up at the show, and it was all these guys, kids, all these different college kids in their groups and whatnot. Now they, of course, allow women to be in it. Um, and then I went over to some frat house afterward and got drunk with everybody. And, <laughs> and they said, nobody ever does that. And I'm like, why? This was the whole thing to me. I mean, I didn't, I could give a shit about the show as much as, like, I, you know, and of course I hadn't been to a frat house in a hundred years. And then they started playing really awful music that I hated because I'm too old for it. And um, then it, uh, next thing I know, people were upside down drinking out of solo cups and shit. And that's when I left because I didn't want to be the chaperone <laughs> at that point. It's, I mean, it's, I've been out of college for almost, um, well, actually for over 10 years now. I didn't want to age myself. But I remember doing the same thing. We always invited the comics to come back to the frat house, and nobody ever did it. So just to hear the fact that you actually did it, I mean, that just that's awesome. Oh, no, I went. I smoked weed. I stayed for a couple of hours. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't close the place because I didn't want to be embarrassed uh, that anyone would, like, ask me for a loan or something. Um, no, it was really fun. Uh, I mean, but I thought all the people I, I did it with were such, uh, you know, uh, enthusiastic and intelligent and organized, you know. Yeah. I mean, I was, a, I was a teenage drama student, so I know the deal. I would have well, loved I mean, it if a, a comic had come and, you know, partied with us. Yeah. Philly, Philly would have had to I make I thought it was up. part of the job, quite frankly. I was told, <laughs> like, no, they had some other comic a couple years ago. It was like a... A star off another show, and he didn't go, and he was very huffy, and he wanted his car right after. And I thought, oh, I went and ate dinner with them before, and I went out with them after, because I'm so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Either that, or I have no social life. <laughs> but that um, was a very nice night in Philly because it, the weather was really nice too. You know, I was gonna say I had to make a, a good impression on you because I mean we're looking at your schedule and we looked at it a little bit earlier. Um, you're out, like we said, you're out West Coast right now. You come to Philly for a few days, and then you go back out West Coast um, and then take kind of a break. I guess uh, Who's Line's probably coming up, taping for uh, the next season of that, right? Well, Is that why you're taking a break in March? in January, and then uh, we tape again in um, somewhere in March. I'm also doing a show called The Infinite Monkey Cage uh, up in San Francisco. The physicist named Brian Cox has a show um, that he does for the – I think it's BBC Radio, and they have all these physicist types on it, and it's supposed to be good fun. So I'm really looking forward to that too. That ought to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you've getting back to your tour. You've you've toured, you know, all over the world, um, you know, Europe and everything like that. Is there any type of uh, issue, or how does the language barrier affect barrier affect your show when you're overseas like that? No, because everyone who comes can speak English. I mean. I think the biggest one uh, obstacle last year probably was uh, we played Antwerp and it went very well, but I think a lot of the people in Antwerp didn't speak English um, perfectly as a second language, whereas when we played um, Finland and uh, we and Stockholm in Sweden, everyone, uh, the Swedes and the Finns just speak tremendous English. I mean, when you do it in Paris or Amsterdam. There's loads of expats, you know, so there's tons of English people, Scottish people, maybe a few Irish Canadians kicking around, and oh, it's an American. You know, there's 50,000 Americans in Paris, you know, so you're always going to get some people from home. Um, but I was, I was chuffed that um, last time we played Paris, uh, there was, I would say, half a dozen or more Parisians there. Wow. Who just spoke English really well and they wanted to hear the comedy. But then there's a big English speaking comedy scene in Paris, so 
So no, not really. I don't. It's not. It's not like they sit there wondering what I'm talking about or anything like that. <laughs> I think that happens more at stand-up shows. Also, I make a slight effort. I mean, I'm not saying other comics don't, but uh, you know, they send comics around the world. Like when we were in uh, Norway or Sweden, rather, I remember there was a bunch of comics there from America on kind of a big corporate tour. Of, you know, it was English comics and American comics. Uh, I can't remember who was there when we were there. James Domian and what's his name from England? Stephen Merchant, whatnot. Oh, okay. That's awesome. And, and you know, uh, Americans can be a little parochial uh, and provincial, and they go places and they're like, God, it's really weird here. <laughs> you eat different food and you talk different. It's like, and don't be an idiot. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, make an, I really make an effort to kind of know something about where I'm going or, or at least have a day or two to study when I get there. At least go out to dinner and hang around and go to a bar and get drunk and meet some people so that I'm not just blowing it out my ass when I get up on stage or talking about to me, the biggest crime is to get on stage and talk about Hollywood. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because no one really gives a shit. Yeah. Um, Unless you're in Hollywood. Uh, well, yeah, in Hollywood, of course. I do nothing but shit business. And on the podcast, I can, and all that jazz. Well, I think I'm Philly and talk about Hollywood, unless it's going to be excoriating Hollywood. No one gives a crap about gossip and shit like that. And it, show business means so little to people outside of show business world. And I think a lot of comments get caught up in it when they're here. And right. they go on the road and, like, they want to talk about themselves and their auditions and their and Hollywood and show business. And you're, like, in another world, man. And they want to hear about America, you know. For better or worse, you're a representative uh, of where you're from. You yeah. Know? So I try to keep that in mind. I mean, I don't take it that seriously. I mean, you know, I'm not, I don't fucking study to see who every prime minister was. But <laughs> I, I make a point of knowing where I am uh, and not just... Uh, you know, I used to see, when I lived in London, I would see American comics get up uh, at English clubs. And there was always lots of American comics coming over. To, and there was the serious ones, like uh, uh, Dave Fulton or Rich Hall or Arge Barker or whatnot, uh, Scott Capuro, who all have careers in England because they made a point of, you know, living there and learning about it. But then guys would come over and, like, they'd be a New York comic and they'd get up and they'd go, hey, in London, what the fuck? <laughs> and the English crowd would be like, fuck you. And that would be the end of that. Yeah. And there's nothing like an English crowd going frosty on you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You think a Philly crowd can be shitty. Like a London crowd <laughs> at midnight or one thirty in the morning when the fucking bar's still open and, and they're drunk on Friday, they will just shut down operation. And um, I saw it happen a few times. It happened to me a few times, you know. So you can't just kind of wander into a place and think that comedy is a universal language. And it's spoken in jokes. And that's what I, whenever anybody says to me, what advice would you give me if I was going to go play in England or whatever, I'd say, tell jokes one after the next. Yeah. Because the construction of jokes is universal, and people understand it. It's when you get up there and you go, like, get a little too inside, I think, is when it, inside your own ass. Yeah. You've got to come out and realize there's a world. Well, I mean, you, you seem definitely like there. there's a lot of knowledge in your head. You, you, I mean, you said you're world traveler. And as I mentioned in the introduction, you actually have a book coming out this May, uh, which is titled The Smartest Book in the World. And I've, <laughs> I I love the subtitle to this book, too. A Lexicon of Literacy, A Rancorous Reportage, A Concise Curriculum of Cool, um, w which I think is awesome. Is Is this the first book that you've written or have you written one before this? I've never written a book. Isn't that shocking? I'm so lazy 
I'm having to go over the book now for my last pass, and uh, I just want to get high, you know. I, <laughs> I, I've been thinking about it, drinking it, vodka, and just like anything I could do. I've been putting it off for days and days. Um, uh, it's the first book I've written, and uh, I like it. I think it's funny. Um, I'm going on the road to promote the daylights out of it, and with any luck, I will be in Philadelphia on May 10th. Nice. But that's just pr- uh, penciled at this point. I will be in Moravia, PA. Pretty, I'm pretty sure I'll be in Moravia on the 9th. At, um, there's a bookstore out there that's a big, famous one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm not familiar and with it. you couldn't get me one in Philly, and then I, then I want to come over into Helium and do a uh, 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 the podcast there. You should well, do are, a, we doing, uh, are we doing Collegeville? I can't remember. We might be doing Collegeville. <laughs> you should you should do like a uh, one of those uh, you know those old tapes they had of, of voiceovers reading the books. You should do one of those for it too. I forget what I am. I am going to be reading the book. Oh, perfect. I'm, re- I'm reading my own book. Yeah, they they asked me, and I was like, yes, I'd rather I read it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the only other consideration was Jeremy Irons. Yeah. What <laughs> one of the places you could probably look into if you wanted to do something in Philly is um, the Free Public Library because I've been to a number of book like releases and signings there. Um, I mean, unless you're unless you're obviously you're trying to make a little money on it, which you can still do there too. Like you can sell the book there and sell autographs and do Q and A and stuff and things like that. So I don't know if yeah, that's. I mean, I, I believe me, I bring these up to. Uh, it's a constant. Um, uh, Back and forth with the with the editor, the publishers, you know, and their people, yeah. um, of me saying where I want to play, and then saying where they can get to play, and then I just go ahead and book my own gigs out of it anyway. Because I, <laughs> I mean, I you know, you know how everything works. You guys do your own podcast. There, there's people can help you in certain regards, um, but really, the whole world is about do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, and that's the. Uh, the, the big message I always have for everybody on the show and uh, uh, that I talk about constantly, yeah, we're going to be in Collegeville on Monday, May 11th at the Town Book Center. Um, okay. But we may add another one in Moravia. Um, the message I always have for everybody on the show is, uh, you know, you've got to carpe diem. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Moravian bookstores outside of Philly. Sorry, I was reading the email <laughs> to see if I could find any more information about it, so I didn't just say it was a really big bookstore. We will, we will keep, I'm sure we'll keep uh, an eye on it. I wanted to do Foxes in Philadelphia, but it's very small. So, well, I mean, it's it, like you said, too, about uh, you know having to do things you know yourself and things like that and how we would know that by doing a podcast. You're absolutely right. Like It's one of those things that obviously we knew we were going to have to reach out to people to get things started on our own. But we never took the whole attitude that you know eventually we'll get to a point where things will just be handed to us. We still work just as hard now you know, to keep everything going oh, you ourselves. Stop. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in a tizzy because I'm like, what am I going to do for the next book? Because they haven't even said anything to me, you know. And then you're like, well, what do I do? So, uh, no, you have to constantly push forward. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, people get people get confused. I don't think they get the wrong idea, but I think they get confused that things just happen. And things do, of course, just happen, but you've got to actively take a part in whatever it is you're trying to do. Uh, the, the only thing I object to, aside from ignorant, you know, pinheads running the world, is... Um, 
<laughs> when people say they're going to do something and they don't, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm writing a book or I'm starting a podcast or I'm making a dress or I'm doing this or doing that. And they're not, they have no intention of fucking doing it. They're just talking about it. Yeah. And you hear that all the time, especially in comedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, so I felt like, well, I told people I'm going to write a book. I wrote a book. Um, uh, I said I was coming out with a new album. I have a new album coming out. I don't know when it's coming out, but it'll come out in probably April, somewhere, springish. Springish, summer. <laughs> and we recorded it in San Francisco, and I had to knuckle down and try to put some fucking material together, like a human. And, uh, uh, you know, that's the deal. Right. I think you're only as good as the last thing you do, and you always have to uh, try to be funnier. Better. Yeah. Back yeah, definitely. Smarter, gooder. Um, well, I mean, I, I would. I'm sure you, this gets brought up to you a lot, but I, I just got to mention, obviously, f- from the big fans that Ben and I both are. But uh, I don't know if many people know this, but you are actually you are part of the Star Wars legacy uh, with the voice you did uh, voices, I should say, you did in, in uh, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, and uh, Clone Wars. So, uh, how you know how did that news come about when you found out that you would actually be a part of Star Wars? You know, how did you get that part? And well, that was a long time ago. That was in the '90s in um, Edinburgh. Uh, whenever the year the movie, I think we shot it like '98. It was like '97. I was doing stand-up in Edinburgh, and so was Scott Capuro. He was doing a show after me at a venue called the uh, Pleasant Over the Road, which was a ch- converted church that had a bar in it that you could smoke in, which I thought was a fucking very cool venue. And, uh, one of the Star Wars people came to see me, uh, one of the casting people, because they needed American voices. And so they brought me and Scott in, and um, we did uh, American voices for this uh, pod race announcers. They didn't want English ones. So, and so I did Ron Fairley, um, who used to be a ball player, and uh, he also announced for the Mariners and the Giants. And ball, Ron Fairley got everything wrong, and that's what made me laugh about him. Uh, Mark Grant and Mark Davis pitched on our team, and one was left-handed, one was right-handed, and he couldn't tell them apart. Which is fantastic for a baseball announcer because they're on the, you know, they're throwing from the opposite side. Is there any Mark Davis is out there to, well, scratch that. That's Mark Grant. That's how he would announce, right? Like, and then the play would happen, and then he'd go back and announce the play because he wasn't fast enough to follow the action. So he'd be like, well, what happened just then when there was a ground ball? Like, it really, you know? And so I thought his to- the timbre of his voice was funny. So I did him. And then um, we made up a bunch of stuff in the rehearsal, which they always want us to say that we never made anything up to go through all the lines, but we, we made up a few lines. And, uh, I mean, nothing too devastating. Stuff like, uh, I don't care where you're from. I don't care what galaxy you're from. That's got to hurt and all that shit. That's us. And, um, and then they ended up making Scott uh, speak in Hatties. So uh, he speaks in Hatties in the movie because we went in and we dubbed it over, of course, after we shot it. When I got it, my English agent was like, I don't want you to do it. And I was like, are you kidding? And she went, oh, I don't like the money. And I was like, this goes on top of my resume yeah, until yeah. the day I die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because people from Norway write me every week. I have a, you know, I'm looking, I got a baseball card of Foden bead here. You know, I mean, it's just it's just something you, you couldn't turn down. No. So I was really uh, glad to do it, even though I'm not a, Star Wars is not my main sci-fi thing. Uh, I, I like it because it's not something I watch over and over. And I have a polar fleece that says um, episode one, if you're a super geek. It doesn't say The Phantom Menace, in other words. <laughs> the movie was not called The Phantom Menace when we shot it. It was called episode one. And so Scott asked for some swag from the second AD, and he came back with two polar fleeces. So I still have it in my closet. So there you go. Don't come and kill me for it. It's so those, dollars or something. those aren't readily available. <laughs> well, it's like those, the, the T-shirts that are uh, Revenge of the Jedi. 
Yeah. There was a bunch of Revenge of the Jedi stuff that got put out that didn't, not to the public, but that people had. And I have an episode one, so. I was also in The Nightmare Before Christmas, and it was the 20th anniversary of that, like, two years ago. Two years ago? Yeah, last year. 20 years already? And then, yeah, Star Wars were on to... We did the DVD a few years ago. I've done a bunch of video games for them, too. George Lucas was the nicest person I've ever met on a set. I mean, he couldn't have been more low-key. He was acting like he was conducting a tea party, you know. <laughs> he was like, uh, like oh, I don't know what's good. <laughs> do you want him? Do you want him? Do you try that again? <laughs> and I, I'm in a, I have a giant head on, right? Like an alien head. Yeah. And I go, okay, George. So that was fun. <laughs> uh, we couldn't eat or nothing because um, the heads were big. You know, we had we were in makeup for like four or five hours. And then uh, you, they're not in the movie. Like, you can go online and see our heads. If you're a really deep fan and you give a shit about this, you can go on um uh, on, you know, Google Foden Beat and you'll see pictures of me and Scott in our actual prosthetic heads that they made us. I'm green and he's red. Also, I did um, uh, Matt Gourley, who's on um, the wonderful podcast Super Ego. Uh, Matt Gourley does a show called I Was There Too. And um, it, it's from the point of view of people on the periphery of these giant things. And so he interviewed me about being in the Star Wars legacy, as you call it, um, because I'm not in the center of it, but I was in it. Mm hmm. And I did meet George Lucas, and uh, we met. I even, we met you and McGregor even. I think uh, he was shooting that day with Frank Oz over on another part of Leavesden. We shot at Leavesden outside of London. So uh, that was fun. And then I'll tell you the best part of the story. I've told it on that show, but it's worth telling again on your show because it's a good story. Um, Mike, the guy they sent to come and get me in the car, um, was a really handsome older fellow who looked like Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones, right? Okay. He had silver hair and like a you know a tweed jacket and a polo neck, right? And he, it was a Jaguar, a really fancy Jaguar. So they came and got me in this Jaguar, and we started chatting, of course, because it's a long ride out to Leeson. And I says, uh, you know, how's it going? And he goes, one, I'm really glad I'm not on Eyes Wide Shut. They were shooting Eyes Wide Shut at the time. He goes, I have friends who've been working on that picture for two fucking years, right? <laughs> Kubrick just never stopped shooting it, right? Right. And then he goes, uh, I drove Harrison Ford on Raiders of the Lost Ark 3. And I said, what was that like? And he said, Harrison smoked a joint on the way to the set every day. <laughs> uh, first call, you guys, first call. We're talking 6 in the morning, right? So he, he would fetch Harrison from the Savoy Hotel on the Strand in London and drive him out to the set. And he said, one day Harrison Ford gets in the car with a saucepan. And he goes, Harrison, what are you doing? And he says... I, I ran out of rolling papers. <laughs> and my room has a kitchenette, so I've heated up the dope in the saucepan, you see. And he opens up the saucepan lid, and dope smoke fills up the Jaguar. <laughs> and he said he pulled up and he had to roll all the windows down, and that Harrison Ford was sticking his head in the saucepan, <laughs> snorting, snorting weed on the way to the set. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, so that, that one I thought was a pretty great <laughs> yeah. story here. And then uh, we shot it, we got the... Uh, polar fleeces. We came back to. I was living in Hampstead at the time in London, and my wife and we ordered Chinese food, and uh, we drank a bottle of wine, and we high five because we were in Star Wars, which we were calling Star Wars at the time. <laughs> that's cool, though. That's. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just to be a part of that. Is this? That's pretty. Cool. Oh my god, you're kidding! I mean, you know, like it, it's a yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, people, you know, 
some of the people who like it are, are not people I would touch on a general basis, but uh, <laughs> they're often sticky. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is it is an amazing thing to be a part of. And Nightmare too, because Nightmare was such a, a coincidence, and I really didn't think that um, anyone would give a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I right. thought it was just another, I mean, I thought it was cool. Don't get me wrong. I thought it looked cool and everything. But I didn't think at the time, like, that it would be part of, like, you know, if you go to Disneyland, the Haunted Mansion is basically like the Nightmare. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they really turned it into this giant thing. And so I'm very, very happy that I was in that. Yeah. That, yeah, that's pretty great. I mean, yeah, and that's become like a, like almost like a, a classic as well now, too. Well, it was like a yearly, you know, one of those annual Christmas things. And who would have fucking thunk it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you go to an audition, you just try to do something and, that one was fun though because they gave us the um, opening song, uh, the, the the this is Halloween song that Danny Elfman wrote, and they gave us a, this is how long ago it was, you guys. You guys are gonna think I'm a hundred. They gave it to us on a cassette. <laughs> well, and uh, <laughs> I went at home and I learned it on my cassette recorder, and then I came back and I was first because I had to go to L.A. for something, and they had the audition in San Francisco for no reason, and I was the, I said, can I go first because I got to get a plane, so they put me up at like ten in the morning. And, but I'd memorized the fucking song, and I sang it as a bunch of different monsters, and I got it. So Nice. Yeah. And I was Bob the Builder, too. But you, guys, you have a two-year-old, is it? Uh, I don't have any kids. Two months, two, he's two months old. Two months? Oh, well, they're not old enough for Bob the Builder. <laughs> but in, in two years' time, they will be. So. Um, well, I know I don't want to. We don't want to keep you uh, that much longer because I know you've, you've already given us given us plenty of time, you know, to talk to you tonight. Um, oh, you know, I'm enjoying myself. You guys are nice. Thank you. Uh, we're, are you stand-up comics? Um, we're not stand-up comics. I, no. I, I, I've attempted it. Um, I have a friend who does stand-up on a regular basis. He's been doing it. I've been following him, and I've known him probably for since I was a freshman in college in '98. So probably going on like 17 years now. And I've actually opened for him twice because uh, there was a point in time when I did want to give it a shot, and he gave me he gave me an opportunity, and I didn't bomb, but I, I really only did maybe like f- like four or five minutes. Which to me felt like an eternity, having never done it before. Right. Um, but I'm just a huge stand-up fan. Like I love nice. stand-up comedy. I love reading. I can't wait to read your book when it comes out in May. Um, you know, you'll see me in line at, at your book signing. You know, whether it's in Collegeville or you get one in Philly, I'll be there because you know. Um, well, thank you. You know, I love reading it. I'm 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 really hoping to go to both your podcast taping this weekend at Helium and one of your shows. So well, they will be different. I won't do the same material. So if, for the people, when does this show drop, fellas? Uh, this will actually be up. Be up yeah, this will oh, be up great, by tomorrow great. morning. Yeah. So well, if you uh, put put me in a tweet and I'll retweet it. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and like that, and then uh, yeah, because you know, uh, your casual comedy fan doesn't necessarily know what a, the difference between a podcast and a, a stand-up show. Mm-hmm. I say your casual comedy fan. You're obviously your experienced comedy fan does. Um, but some people come to a show and they're like, you know, you see notes on the internet. I don't know why he sat down the whole time at the table. <laughs> in in front know? of a microphone. Like, yeah, I don't they know. didn't get it at all, you know. Or, or, well, he just talked about politics and shit. I thought it was going to be, you know, and you think, okay, fuck you. You know, don't even, don't even come. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. most people that come are really, really, really involved in it. And um, uh, it's a real exchange. People give me presents. We talk. You know, it's it's a. I think you'll like it. I think it's a real event. 
Well, I'll be sure to introduce myself. Baby. Yeah, I'll be sure to introduce myself to you if I ever, you know, if I get the chance. Please do, young Dan. And uh, when we talk to you, um, I, just to wrap up everything too before we let you go, um, we're going to be recapping the Oscars once we're done talking to you uh, as part of this podcast as well. I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch them at all. I did uh, yeah. this weekend. Did you have a favorite movie uh, out of the eight? That you ch- that you would have preferred to win if it wasn't Birdman because Birdman did win Best Picture. No, I didn't really give a shit. I, I really <laughs> loved um, uh, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. I thought it was charming. Mm-hmm. Um, it took out a thought, lot of a lot. I of thought awards. the obvious uh, uh, Best Picture would have been Selma, and the, and the fact that it didn't it got scooched over, that the lead actor got scooched over, that the director got scooched over, just really says everything about how Hollywood works. And um, yeah. The innate faith, sexism, and racism that just carries on. I thought that the show was a terrible show. It looked like it was put on in the eighth grade. I thought the writing for Neil Patrick was abysmal. None of the jokes landed. But I thought a lot of the stuff that the people said that got up. Uh, Patricia Arquette, uh, Mr. Moore, who wrote the screenplay um, to, I just forgot imitation the name. Game. To the Imitation Game, yeah. The Imitation yeah. Game. I was going to call yeah, it the Imitation cool. Game. <laughs> uh, um, uh, what, what John Legend said... Uh, you know, there were so many issues got covered: ALS and yeah. Alzheimer's, racism, and suicide, uh, and yeah. sexism, suicide. Uh, um, G.K. Simmons with uh, t- call your parents, call your mom, text right? F- filial devotion, um, being gay, and I think that's the best thing that can come out of these kind of shows. Like, yeah. I don't know if you watched the Golden Globes, but the Golden Globes was a, a fucking hootenanny of agendas, and I think that's the best thing about it. It's very important that. People who live in what they like to think of as real America see that um, gay people are married and are productive members of society, that women have a voice, you know, those kind of things. Because all the other things are true, too. Stars are shallow as fuck, and, you know, really it is about the shoes <laughs> and the clothes, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. uh, you know, Hollywood celebrating itself is, is so annoying. They, they all say things like, it's Hollywood's biggest night, and you're like, no, it's not. It's a frat party for a bunch of fucking insiders who are the, you know, most popular kids at school. Yeah. And that's why they make the people who make the foreign documentaries sit in the fucking rafters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the balcony. And, you know, also, the, the my other biggest complaint about last night, other than the jokes were terrible, was that Harry Belafonte was given the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award, which they used to do on the air. Yeah. And I don't know why they quit doing it, but he, did, he, got, he was on a little taped crappy package. And if there's one person that America needs to see this year, uh, in a year when um, Eric Garner, Ferguson, uh, when, when the issue of civil rights is at the very forefront of everybody's mind, and uh, police brutality, all the things, is Harry Belafonte. He, he marched with Dr. King. He was at all these things with Martin Luther King. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. to give him a crappy taped package really yeah, fucked exactly. me off. And then, you know, I'll go even yeah. further. Joan Rivers and Robin Williams, I knew them. I'm not, I wasn't best buddies with them, but I did work with them. Robin I knew for 20 years from San Francisco, maybe more. Joan, I, I, I did the red carpet with her um, in 96 and 97, and Melissa. And I did all the shows with her. And she was a, a rare individual, and an exceedingly sensitive, intelligent, a giving, wonderful person. And for them to fucking not show her picture... Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. The red carpet, man. Yeah, I agree with you on that completely. Like I um one of our other hosts, uh who who's not with us this in not with us this evening, he had something to come up. Um he had mentioned it too that he would he had brought up that Joan Rivers was snubbed from uh, the oh. immemorium. And 
it, it, it's one of those things that even if just for the red carpet alone, she yeah. deserved to be part of right. that. I mean, she wrote a movie and she directed a movie and she was in several movies and she did voiceover in a few movies. So that's not a movie career per se. Um, the fact that she, okay, let me put it this way. When I was a kid, there was no four hours lead up to the Oscars. The Oscars started and then it was over. Yeah. And I'm talking about into the 70s and 80s, man. When she got a hold of it, it became an all-day affair. Right. And they need to get down on their fucking knees and thank her for making it that sexy and that glamorous. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, she, she was the red carpet for the Oh, Oscars. my God. She invented Who Are You Wearing? I yeah. I mean, like, yeah, there's just no... Isn't there the reason why we have fucking Khloe Kardashian trotting around out there and Juliana and the Manny Cam and all that crap? It's because of Joan. Yeah. And for them to not acknowledge that was just... Well, not only that, but they I know they had mentioned, too, that on the red carpet, they were trying to get away from the whole who are you wearing this year uh, in the pre-show, which I think is another disrespect towards Joan. I mean, (laughs) well, I mean, the the talk on it was what was it? There's other things matter and all that. And I forget who started at Reese Witherspoon or whatever. You know, ask me about my life, my children. my Yeah, I understand that. However, we're we're at an event where you're you've dieted furiously. You've been spray tanned. You've had your eyes glued on, and <laughs> you're wearing a gown. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, yeah. shall we? Yeah. I mean, I get their point. Their point is men never get asked uh, about their looks and what they're wearing. It's not an issue for men. Men can look like Jack Nicholson and still get front room pussy. Um, <laughs> but if a woman looks like Jack Nicholson, everyone goes, oh, she's old and fat. Yeah. So, I mean, I get that. But <laughs> right. I, I agree with you, I think. Uh, and then, you know... Nothing about Taylor Negron, nothing about Jan Hooks. Jan Hooks, Come yeah. On, man. Jan Hooks and Taylor Negron had two key scenes and two key movies that are two of the funniest goddamn scenes in movie history, and so fuck you. And uh, Robin Williams, Oscar winner, hosted the show a bunch of times. Really? You gave him a drawing? Yeah, and you know what? It's, I, 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 didn't, men- I didn't mention this, because we were live-tweeting during the Oscars um, last night, and I didn't mention that either, but uh, like I know during the Emmys... Right after he had passed away, you have to understand, Adam knows this, and you knowing Robin for as long as you have, uh, Robin was my comedy idol. Like, I looked, mm-hmm. I don't have heroes, I don't look up to people, I looked up to Robin. Like, that's, I was devastated when I found out everything that happened. So, to go through the in-memoriam last night and see that he was just a still in the middle of everything. Yeah, yeah not even at the end or anything like that. I mean, for me, I would have given him a, a clip reel. Yeah. yeah. I would have let you see him in all of his nudes. Good Morning Vietnam, Goodwill Hunting, uh, 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 Dead Poets Society, you know, all the, even the one that Bobcat made with him a couple years ago where he's the best father. Oh, the world's greatest dad, yeah. The world's greatest dad, like, you know, he could play serious and he could play comedy. Yeah. I mean, and... I mean, he was a, he, the thing is, he was a lovely guy. More right. than anything else, um, the amazing amount of things he did for people that we know uh, giving them money, giving them support. He was just a fucking, the, he was a mensch. Yeah. He was a real mensch. And, like, I, I just didn't dig it that they, like you said, you get one crappy still drawing of yourself in the middle of a montage of fucking bullshit. Yeah, and that's all you've got for Robin fucking Williams, man? Like, you know, wow. This guy's uh, yeah, so think... rowdy that way, though. It's just a yeah. rat hole. I mean, you only get one <laughs> shot to do something, you know, as the Oscars ceremony, you only get one time that you can actually do something like that, and to to fall short like that is, it's a shame. Well, and, you know, if you want to get even more blamey, 
Um, why didn't the E Channel run a tribute to John Rivers for an hour before the show, or yeah. after the show, or on That's the night or whatever? Just go like we're going to just show an hour of her being fucking hilarious. Yeah, because I would have watched that over the red carpet stuff oh, that yeah. was that was out yeah, there. Of course you would. I, when I worked with her, she was on TV Guide Channel, and then uh, that was the she the TV Guide Channel gave her a deal for like two or three years, and then then she went back to E and made it even bigger. And then she won the Celebrity Apprentice. Like, all this was in the late 70s, man. She's one of the most impressive people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. yeah. And every once in a while, I'd email her and say, stop selling your crappy books or something. <laughs> and she would always yell back, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so she was hilarious, you know. She was the real, I don't think any comic that ever met her or dealt with her wouldn't tell you that she was the real deal from Louis C.K. to Kim, Jen Kirkman to Sarah Silverman to whoever you can think of, Kathy Griffin. Like, the, she was... Him and her, Robin and her are irreplaceable because they're not dickwads. Yeah, right. There's plenty of comics we can do without, and they weren't. They actually, and you know, I'm an improviser. Robin, Robin can improvise like nobody's fucking business. Well, I mean, he did an episode of Who's Line with you guys too. He did. I wasn't on that one, sadly, but I have done improv with him, and uh, you know, it, you, you can't even begin to describe me. More than that, um, he lit up a room. Yeah, that's what, we we had brought that up. We had actually when we spoke to Colin last year, it was shortly after Robin had passed away. So we had brought it up to Colin, um, and he had mentioned the same thing. He said that he had come down. Uh, he was shooting some movie, and he came one down for the. Photo, I think that's right. Yeah, he was shooting one hour photo, and he came out for the day. And when his time was over and done, and he was able to leave if he really wanted to, he didn't. He stayed. He you know he he talked to the audience. He fooled around with the audience, and he just loved being there. So I mean, like I can only imagine. It's it's one thing that like I, I've had an opportunity. I'm I'm feel lucky that I had an opportunity to see him perform stand up twice. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I would have had an opportunity to meet him. Yeah. Um, you know, even just to shake his hand and thank him for again for like being like I said, being one of my heroes. And it's just well, at least you got to see him do stand up because you got to see what I'm talking about that like yeah in a bottle. Because when he played, uh, I, I, I've asked comics all over the world um, who was as exciting as him on stage. And really, it's like Pryor, Billy Connolly, not that many, you know, that that made the audience go fucking crazy, you know, just crazy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know on a side note, it's, speaking of the comedy and everything, too, and not to go on off on another tangent, but I just had an opportunity last week. Last week or two weeks ago, I saw another friend of yours perform, who is another one of my comedy idols. I got to see Craig um, perform. He performed at the Merriam here in Dude, Philly. Yeah. Oh, what a nice guy. And let me tell you, I was wiping tears from my eyes from laughing so hard um, at his show. It's just, he was, he was hysterical. He's a great guy and uh, a real true gentleman. No one who ever had a TV show in L.A. treated me with more respect than Craig Ferguson. Yeah, because you've done... That's from the heart. I mean, I knew him for... I probably met him in 92, 93. And he moved to L.A. And then when he got the talk show, he put me on all the fucking time. I did it this year. Last year. Yeah. Yeah, I think in June, right? Yeah, I did it last year. And, like, he, I didn't have to do stand-up anymore. He didn't make me do stand-up. I just paneled. I'm like, who, you know, that was his doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's he... That's the network. That's not CBS going, we love Greg Proops. <laughs> Greg Ferguson making that happen. So, just so your listeners know... There are people out there who are beautiful. Yeah. Uh, well, we don't want to take up any more of your time. We definitely right, appreciate Kelly. you um, doing this. So um, just to let people know, 
so that they can you know check you out and everything. Uh, your website is gregproops.com. That's you're, right, and, you, and the link to the Helium site's on there. You can also go to the Helium site if you want to pick up tickets. Also on my Twitter, I, I ceaselessly plug myself. <laughs> That's at Greg Proops. Uh, come and see me Thursday at the podcast if you can't. Come and see me on the weekend. Um, and if you're not in the Philly... we go outside and smoke a joint, but I don't know about that this weekend. <laughs> it is cold out there. Yeah, and if you're if you're not in the Philly area and you're listening to the podcast, uh, go on Greg's website and just find out when he's going to be coming anywhere close to you and, and definitely go and check him out. So. Oh, sure. I'll be in New and York subscribe in to the podcast. May, I think. Yeah, and subscribe to his podcast. Smartest so. man in the world. Smartest man in the world. It's just me spieling. Well, sometimes... Well, I actually, uh, I got a chance to listen to, the mo- I think, the one you did in Washington a little bit earlier today. I listened to part of it. Uh, it's actually really it's really entertaining. You can tell it's not just like a bit like you, you were talking about earlier. It's it's just you having a good time interacting with the audience. Like It, it almost has... I mean, it's not improv, but it has... You know, you can tell you do improv because you, you know you're you're off the cuff and you yeah. you can think on your feet. That's what I try to do. I try to challenge myself a little bit to uh, do it all off the cuff, and uh, you know, not the, the the trick is not repeating myself because now it's been three years and two hundred and something shows. So I've already run out of stories, so I'm just going <laughs> to tell other people's stories from now on. I'm just going to read from the Bible. I just tell that Harrison Ford story. I I could hear that a thousand times. Oh, that's a good, you know, well, I've told it on two shows now. I've got to save that one. There you go. Save it for a special occasion. It would have been a better one if I'd smoked it with him, but still it's funny. <laughs> it's still, yeah. I, I just can't imagine Harrison Ford smoking out of a saucepan. It's <laughs> just it great. <laughs> it's it great. Love him. That's so good. Uh, well, definitely, this was this is a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us tonight. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Adam. So, we'll see uh, you on the weekend, gents. And yeah. you tweet me. Oh, it definitely will. Okay. All right. All right, everybody. We are back with the showcast after that break. Uh, like we said earlier on uh, in the in the program, this is a twofer this week, and this gentleman is certainly somebody we are very excited to speak with this time around. Earlier on, uh, last year and earlier this year, we've been lucky enough to speak with Colin Mockery and Brad Sherwood and Greg Proops, uh, who are all great guests, but this guy is one of my personal favorites. From Whose Line Is It Anyway, airing Fridays on the CW at 8 o'clock, please welcome to the showcast, Mr. Ryan Stiles. Ryan, thanks a lot for joining us. Wait a minute, you had those guys on before me, so you're kind of taking the bottom of the barrel. No, we're not... (laughs) It, it's just, it's you, just the way. I think you were originally unavailable. Yeah. But is Josie Lawrence not available? <laughs> well, we originally trying for Clive, but that was a little harder to get to. Yeah, Clive's a lawyer. Clive would never do this. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell any of the other guys because I didn't, but you are my personal favorite on the show. So we saved oh, the thanks, best for man. last. Yeah, there I'm you go. I'm going to listen to uh, reruns of those shows to say uh, you probably said the exact same thing to Colin. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> Um, getting started a little bit on the interview, I know a lot of something a lot of people don't know about you, and I didn't even really know until we started, you know, looking, reading into you a little bit more. Is you're, you're primarily known for improv comedy, but you actually got your start at a very young age performing stand up. Yeah, I did. I actually quit high school to do stand up in 1976. I was up in Vancouver. I was growing up up there, and. Uh, I think the drinking age at that time up there was 19, and I had fake ID to get in to do stand-up. So I think I was 16 <laughs> or 17. And it wasn't real, stand-up wasn't really popular at that time. People didn't, you know, there wasn't a stand-up club in every city. And it was kind of that David Brenner era around there. So it wasn't, you know, when we did it at clubs and stuff, people really didn't know what it was yet. Yeah. So uh, it was kind of fun before everybody started doing it. And then, you know, everybody started doing it. It wasn't as much fun. And I didn't <laughs> like writing. That was my hardest uh, 
I was the hardest thing about stand-up for me. So when I got into improv, it was perfect because I could still be funny, but I didn't have to write anything. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm assuming it's pretty safe to say then that you don't you stick primarily to improv now. You don't still go out there and, and try stand-up at all? I, you know, I do. I mean, I have my own theater where I live here, so I'll go out and, you know, sometimes go out before the show and warm up the crowd, but I don't think of it as stand-up. But I guess I am doing stand-up, you know, like I kind of have to give me the light in my own theater. But, uh, you know, I'll do 20 minutes, but it's not prepared stuff. It's just kind of talking to the crowd. But, you know, it's, it's a whole different feeling walking out doing improv. And you know, when you come out as a stand-up, they, they kind of realize you've worked in your material, and there's kind of a make-me-laugh kind of attitude. But when you come out as an improviser, they realize they're responsible for what you're doing. So it's a much warmer feeling, and they, they want it to work because, you know, they're behind you on it. But, uh, yeah, I, I prefer it. I, I don't think I'd want to go back to stand-up. Now. Yeah. And you, you mentioned your, your theater that you opened up, Front Theater, and that, that's in Bellingham, Washington, right? Yeah, we're in our 11th year when, you know, when Drew and Who's Line kind of ended, well, Who's Line ended the first time. It's back again. It won't go away. But uh, <laughs> when those two shows ended and I, you know, was here permanently, I got tired of either going to Vancouver or Seattle to do improv. So uh, there was a lot of people at the university town. There was a lot of people doing improv here. So I built the theater and they run it and I just drop in and do shows. So it's perfect. Yeah, how often do you get to get a chance to actually join in uh, on the shows there? I'll be there tonight. I go every Thursday if I'm in town. And uh, they have kind of, uh, Thursday is kind of Harold Longform night, so I kind of do that. People think I do games all the time because of Who's Line, but I, I prefer not to do games. I kind of like to do scene work, longer form work. So, uh, And on the weekends, they have set shows, so I don't usually go down on the weekends. I got kids and stuff. But every Thursday, I, I'm usually down there. At least once a week, I'm on for sure, somewhere. And is it is it all mostly improv, or do they do you guys have some stand up people there as well? And I, I think like two two uh, two Thursdays at the ten o'clock show a month they have stand up, so we do it like twice okay. twice, twice a month. But it's not known as a stand up club; it's more of an improv sketch kind of place. So. That's cool. Did, did any has anybody you know that you know started there maybe and and kind of grown on and, and gone on to do like bigger bigger theaters and things of that nature? Um, you know, I have a lot of people that moved away to do improv other places, to Chicago and New York and Los Angeles, and you know, but, uh, you know, no Steve Carell's or anything. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, they're <laughs> That's all pretty, still pretty young, cool, though. You know, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. And then, you know, some come back and some stay, and, you know, we revolve all the time. We lose members and we get new ones, and it's, it's kind of cool. It keeps me young because I'm working with the younger people all the time. So, yeah. You know, I kind of like it. And they, Drew, all, Drew. they all grew up watching Who's Line, you know, so. I was going to say, Drew came up for a show before, hasn't he? Drew's been up, Colin's been up. They've all been up. All the guys have been up. Uh, Greg Groups has done his podcast from my theater, I think, two or three times. So, uh, yeah, they've all done it at one point or another. Okay. Um, and you mentioned that you know that people expect you to play games and stuff like that, and, and because of who's line, and I, I want to switch to that just for a minute because obviously it's what you're known for. So we, we really, you can't really avoid it as much as we'd like to talk to you about you know stuff that people don't talk to you about. Uh, so, I, but I'm curious. Out of, uh, over the years, you've done over 200 episodes of Who's Line. You know, you did the iteration. You started with Clive, went through Drew. Now you're with Aisha on the current iteration. You've done a ton of different games throughout all that time, and I think you you've made no bones about it. At least in, from what I've seen, definitely through the Drew years, that one of your least favorite games is the Hoedown. <laughs> 
Well, you know what? I think, I think my least favorite games are the ones that we do all the time until we give it a break, you know? I mean, we don't do it as much in the new version. We'll do it like once every six shows or something, so that's great. But yeah, anything we do a lot, I just kind of get tired of, you know? And plus, I'm, I'm usually last in hoedown. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing that I think of, I just throw away because I know Colin's going to be doing it before me. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it's just after a while, it just gets... Uh, I prefer... I, I actually prefer games that aren't like that. I prefer games that are kind of more scenic, you know, where we're playing a scene rather than props or something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. it changes all the time. If I do a game a lot, I get really bored of it. You know, if, if we leave it for a while, we come back to it, then it's kind of exciting to get. But I don't, you know, hold on for years, we get every show. Yeah. After a while, it's like, oh, give me a break. You know, <laughs> I mean, for a while, it seemed like that's how you guys would end the show. Yeah. Um, you know, for, well, I mean, for a while. It's not necessarily how we end the show while we're taping it because we do, we usually get two or three shows out of every taping. Uh, you know, while we're taping, it might be in the middle of the show. But yeah, he usually he usually ended the show with it for sure. But uh, back to, especially in the old days in the English version. But uh, yeah, we we got a lot of new games now, so uh, it's kind of nice that we've kind of switched it up a bit. Because you, you know, you do get bored doing the same stuff all the time. Yeah. And also, you're going to kind of you're going to get the same suggestion. Eventually, you're going to you're going to have to change. If you get plumber, you're going to have to find nine different ways to do plumber because you can't do the same stuff all the time. You know. <laughs> it seems like you, you guys... don't want to do that. Yeah. It seems like you guys do helping hands a lot on the on the new, at least this season. Do you get tired of that at all, having uh, Colin shove well, various well, you know, things in your mouth? It's kind of a little different because I'm usually doing it with someone different. We usually have a guest right. star doing with it. The guest, know, so yeah. the situation that I'm doing it is different. So I, I'm usually playing off them, so I'm not thinking of, about it just being hands, you know, called right. hands for me. Which people forget sometimes that he's making me, you know, lick his fingers. And, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's really, I, I, it just occurred to me last year after doing the show for, you know, what, 15, 16 years or whatever, that maybe he should, you know, during a commercial break, maybe take a shot of Purell or something. <laughs> I've never thought about it before. I never did in all those years. He's just shoving his, mouth, his fingers in my mouth and he's not, you know, he's not the cleanest of guys calling. You know, he's, he's Scottish. <laughs> Are there, you know what they're like. Have you ever choked on anything that he shot? Because it, it's a miracle that you haven't, at least on camera, that I've seen. Yeah, no, I've almost tapped a few times on stuff I just don't like. And I think he shoved the entire, I don't, I hate Brie, for one thing. He shoved an entire wedge of Brie down my throat. <laughs> and uh, you know those little onions, those cocktail onions? Yeah. Yeah. He, he dumped a bowl of that juice down my throat one time. Oh. I almost got it. Yeah, I almost cacked on that one. <laughs> but anything he'll take, like he'll take, you know, he'll make a burrito and like put, all these ingredients in it, and then he'll just squeeze it into a ball so the sour cream's just like oozing <laughs> out of it, you know, and then he'll make me take a bite of it. That kind of stuff. If I start to think about it, it starts to make me cack. But, uh, <laughs> if it was real life and it wasn't a TV show, I'd throw up. Yeah. But the fact that it's a TV show and the adrenaline's going, you know, it's kind of different. Yeah, it seems like with a game like that, it would almost be dangerous to tell Colin what you like and what you don't, because it would yeah. seem like he would make a focus of the things that you don't. Oh, he's just he's just going to brutalize me any way he possibly can. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> But you got to remember, my hands are behind my back, so they're, they're really close to his nuts. So really yeah. Out of all the games that you play, are there any that you find that kind of come easier than other ones? That once you can just walk into, or you hear that they're going to play it, and you know, okay, I, I got this down. Like this is going to be easy. I, um, you know, I used to, I used to like, and people don't think of me as a singer, but I do like the musical numbers. We used to have a thing called Bartender that I really liked. Yeah. we had to sing through and. And, like, even the three-person, like, you know, when we sing one word at a time or whatever, I, I like that kind of stuff. It's just different, and I like to sing because people don't expect me to do that, so that's always fun. But, uh, you know, I tend to dread games, again, that we play a lot, like, you know, first dates or, you know, 
games like that. It's like, oh, man, how many ways can I do this? Or, you know, newscast <laughs> or whatever. It's like, oh, God, please don't make me do this. <laughs> so we're always excited to get new stuff, you know, new games. Yeah. Even if they don't work, at least we're trying new stuff. Yeah. Know? Because it's for us, it's, you know, it's not like a TV show. It's not like doing Two and a Half Men or Drew Carey where we do a scene and then we do it three or four times again. Uh, for, from an audience standpoint, we never reshoot anything. So we'll, we'll do 20 or 30 games a night. So it's, it's like a show for them. It's like a stage show, you know? Yeah. If it works, if, and when we were selling the show, when I was selling it with Drew here, when it came to America, they said, you know, what if something doesn't work? And I said, we need stuff that doesn't work because if everything works, nobody's going to believe it's improvised. So, right. you know, it's really kind of a, a no, no lose kind of situation, you know? Yeah. And I've seen, um, the, I know it's floating around YouTube and I have it on my computer as well. I've seen there's, it's probably like a good, like 45 minute long outtake reel. And it shows a lot of that. It shows a lot of the games that don't work, you know, because somebody screwed up or somebody couldn't think of something off the top of your head. Or in your case in particular, it seems like you swear more than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Greg probably, Greg probably swears more than anybody else, but I usually get caught at it more than anybody else. Because <laughs> I, I make the least amount of mistakes. So, uh, but, yeah, no, Greg's, Greg's notorious for throwing in a fuck here or a fuck there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and we're also playing with the crowd that's there, you know, so if something doesn't work, we're just, you know, fuck, you know, you gotta, you gotta tell the crowd that you're, you know, you're kind of frustrated, you know, yeah. but they're, they're with us, they want it to work, so it's not like, you know, and we just redo it, you know, that's usually a game that, if, if, it's usually a song or something where someone blows a lyric or something, and we'll just start over immediately, you know, so. Yeah, and I know, it, you, know. You, you may say you make the least amount of mistakes, but uh, at least when it comes to Colin, you tend to break more than anybody else. Because it seems like he can make you break quite a bit. Yeah, he just cracks me up. You know, I've known Colin <laughs> since uh, since Vancouver. I mean, we started doing theater sports in Vancouver in, I want to say, 82. So, I mean, that's how long I've known Colin, you know, close to 40 years. So, But at the same time, I've you know, Colin lives in Toronto. We've talked on the phone in 40 years maybe, maybe five times. And I'm not exaggerating. Wow. We just don't keep in touch. <laughs> So when we see each other once or twice a year, when we do these lines, it's like, hey, how are it's like a brother, you know, that you don't see yeah. for a long time. Yeah. But uh, we've known each other for so long, I know what he's doing behind my back. So, <laughs> uh, but he can, you know, he cracks me up sometimes. He just, he just, he just he'll say something and it sneaks up on me and I don't think I'm going to laugh, but uh, he gets me, you know. Yeah, he had, he had mentioned <laughs> it. Which is what we want, too, you know, from an audience standpoint, if they see you're having fun, it's easier for them to have fun, you know. Yeah, but uh, we don't. Admit that we definitely don't. You know, pimp it and you know try to do it. I mean, if he makes me laugh, it's because he's making me laugh, not because I'm trying to make the audience laugh. You know? Yeah, he had he had mentioned it when we had interviewed him earlier, um, and I remember it. I, I remember it as clear as day because it's one of my favorite moments of the show. Just like the uh, the tapioca incident, if you remember. Oh, that just got me because you know, <laughs> and that's the thing. You know, Ricky Ricardo, number one, half our audience isn't going to know who that is. Uh, and that song, I know what song Ricky Ricardo sang that <laughs> sounded like what he was singing. And that's what made it funny to me is the fact that we knew that song, but 80% of the people watching that show had no idea what he's talking about. So that's what made it really funny to me. Yeah. Half the audience watching doesn't remember I Love Lucy, you know. So the fact that he did it to that and, you know, it just cracked me. He's got a few things. It's usually during Greatest Hits that he gets me. Yeah. <laughs> he just comes, uh, I think, uh, Black Eye, Black, what was it, uh, he got me for some other singing group too. He got me one time that I couldn't stop laughing. And when I start laughing, I can't stop laughing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah, laugh I know. very hard like that, but I'm very, very often like that. But when he gets me, he gets me. Yeah. I know another one you see a lot of people break with is the questions game. Does that, does that game ever get like? 
competitive to to see how long you can stay up there asking questions? I know uh, you and Colin are pretty good going back and forth with it. At least, does anybody really get into it? Well, you know, no, you can't. I mean, you can't be competitive in improv. You just can't do it. It's not like you know. That's another thing about stand up. I mean, stand ups are incredibly competitive with each other. They want to be better than the one that's on before them or after, but. I mean, that just doesn't work in improv. I mean, if someone's if someone's wants to be the star of the show, then everybody else will just shut them down. Because, you know, if you don't get offers, you can't do anything funny. So, right. you know, if someone's trying to be a hot dog, it's just, you're not going to do it. Because I'm not, not going to offer you anything. I'm not going to make you funny. So, yeah. you know, if I walk across as a waiter in a scene and never say a word, I'm just as responsible for the laughs in that scene as everybody else, you know. But... What we do do sometimes in questions only is if you're on a roll and it looks like you're just not going to be buzzed out, you'll purposely say something that's not a question because you want the other guy to get in. Yeah. yeah. So that's more the case than not being able to think of something or getting competitive. It's usually dying on purpose. You know, the art is not to die on purpose to make it look like you're dying so the other guy can get in. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? it, yeah. To make it look like you really did die. You know. Um, it, questions, that's a pretty easy game just to ask questions all the time. It's yeah. Really as long as you keep the scene going, you can, you can, you can ask questions all day, you know. Yeah. It's, it's funny, though. You can definitely tell when one of the questions throws the other person off, which is one of the funnier moments, especially with some uh, – it was one of the more recent episodes. I don't remember which one. It, it was this, this season, but Colin had on, like, the, that trout thing that you know that little musical yeah. trout that everybody had well there there was like a mask right. or something that he had on him. Right. and you, just, yeah. you had walked out and just essentially turned right back around well i mean sometimes <laughs> he's not even wearing anything and he gets me he's just such an odd looking man <laughs> but um you know i mean it, it's you're taught to do exactly or i mean you're doing what you're you're taught not to do if you go you know the call and i both came out of second city and, and you know most improvisers are taught not to ask questions in scenes. That's what you're taught not to do. And suddenly you're doing a game where that's all you do, you know. So it's it's pretty hard to do because any other time you improvise, you're not going to ask questions. Yeah. yeah. I know another thing you're, you're, you're pretty known for and you're, you're good at. And, and you'll have to forgive me because I'm going to geek out because a couple of my favorite scenes are, are part of this. But you're, you're good at doing a lot of impressions. You know, throughout yeah, it. Yeah, not, really. not <laughs> really. You know, every every interview I do, people will say, "Oh, I, you know, you're known for doing Carol Channing and John Wayne." Well, I'm not really. I mean, I've done them on a few shows, and they make me do it on a few shows. But I only do impressions that everybody in the world can do. Everybody can do John Wayne, and everybody can do Carol Channing, and everybody thinks they can do Christopher Christopher Walken. You know, yeah. So I'm not doing like I'm not doing like Bruce Dern or any like incredibly hard people to do. You know. But I, it's just, it's a, you know, it's a bad impression of a bad impression, you know. John yeah. Wayne, anybody can do John Wayne. I just do a bad John Wayne, you know. And Jimmy, I will tell you, though, one of the impressions that you have done, there, there were two in particular. One of them was uh, you were playing, um, I think it was Party Quirks, and you had to do uh, Carol Channing in love with the shag carpeting. And you ended up, oh. you ended up breaking yeah. the neon light on yeah. Drew's desk with your hand. Yeah, everybody was very concerned until they found out that I was okay, and then they couldn't stop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and the other time, it, it threw me for a, a complete loop because I never expected it. Um, I don't remember what game it was, but I was always I grew up watching uh, one of my favorite shows. Even when I was a younger kid, was Taxi. And right. you, in one game, just in the middle of it, you threw out your impression of Christopher Lloyd from Taxi. Right. And yeah, I, I mean, I can I can do a Christopher Lloyd, but the thing is. I mean, most of the time, like, when we're on tour and stuff and we're doing colleges, 
nobody knows who the hell, <laughs> you know, Taxi. Nobody's ever watched that show. <laughs> so they, just, they don't know what you're doing. They just think you're doing it on character. Yeah. So, uh, I don't, you know, I'll, I mean, I'll be in the middle of the scene sometime with Colin and I'll whip out like an F Troop reference or something. And he'll be like, hey, good job, F Troop. You're the current, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's what we grew up in. And that's, it's like, I love Lucy, you know. Yeah. People don't know those things. But we have to do that because that's what makes us laugh. So, yeah. You know. I'm not, I'm not going to do a One Direction scene. I could care less about One Direction. You know, I'm going to do what I know, you know. Or a Justin Bieber impression or anything like that. Well, Justin Bieber. I'm not going to do an impression of Justin Bieber. <laughs> I'm make fun of him. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of easy. Before we, uh, before we let you get going, I, I think one thing that I know I often forget about, but you are actually in both uh, iterations of Hot Shots, Hot Shots 1 and then Hot Shots Part right. 2, which is... Yeah. I think Part Two is probably one of my favorite spoof movies of all time, and I haven't watched one in a while because if I'm going to watch one, I just I just go straight to two. Um, right. But I mean, how how was it working? You know, with like Charlie Sheen and everybody that w- that was in those back then, and, and you were even two separate characters in, in each of them. Well, you know what the odd thing is is that I end up doing Two and a Half Men for you know I, I ended up doing it for ten yeah. years off and on, you know. But the, the fact that both uh, Charlie and John were both in the first Hot Shots. So the oh, fact, that's right. The I forgot that, John Cryer was in the yeah, first yeah, one. I was in it too. I so by the time I'd done that show, when I started doing Two and a Half, I already knew these guys. Yeah. And I already knew Charlie because we shot all my stuff up in, in you know Sacramento and around there, like in those rice fields where the boat was and all this stuff. So we spent a lot of time together just doing nothing. So uh, I already knew Charlie when I started Hot Shots, you know, so, or when I started Two and a Half Men, so, and John as well. So, it was a comfortable thing to come into, but it's amazing, like, you know, as your career goes along, you don't feel like you're getting older. You still feel like you're in your 20s, you know, but then you look back and you go, oh, wait a minute, I did a film with this guy like 25 years ago, you know? <laughs> so, so, which Hot Shots is, I think, at least probably 25 years ago. Uh, yeah, uh, 20, so, so yeah, the first one was 24. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, you look back and you don't feel like you're getting older, but you look back and like wow, you know, it was a long time ago that you know I look back and I go, well, Charlie was young and I was young too. Holy smokes! You know? <laughs> but you, you don't think of it that way. You just think of it. You, all you want to do is, you know, to me, I could care less about you know award shows. And you know, when I was nominated for an Emmy, I never even went to the Emmys because I think it's a big fashion show anyway. So, but you know, I, I and Drew didn't, didn't do that either. Drew would, you know. Go, he'd pull up in a limo and then he'd have the driver just keep going because he just couldn't go into the thing. But to me, it's more important than having a star or having an award or whatever is to have the respect to your peers. So, I mean, like, it's like two and a half. Man, I never had to audition for that show because Chuck Lorre, who produced it, I, I did a darling break for him. I did one episode. So he just asked me to do it. So it, it's kind of nice in the business to, be, to have people to know your work and respect you for your work rather than to just, you know, be on a reality show or be on a talk show. Yeah. I have nothing to talk about on talk shows. I get asked to do talk shows all the time. It's like, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> Me? It's like people that write books about themselves. I'm not going to read a book about somebody. I could care less about that. You know? People say, oh, you should write a book. About what? <laughs> you know? About me? Who's going to read that? You know? Was there... I couldn't do that until my, my mother died anyway. I couldn't write a book about myself. You know, my mom knowing what I did you know, <laughs> during, during the 80s. You know. <laughs> with, with all, I mean, with Hollywood these days uh, and movies and everything like that, everything's a remake or a sequel. Was there ever a talk about a third Hot Shots at any point in time? No, I never heard him talk about that. Oh, no, man, I never I heard him talk. You know what they're, speaking of, uh, you know, Maybe not now. bringing back, you know what they're planning on doing? They're playing, you know, The Rock. 
the movie Dwayne Johnson or whatever. No, the, uh, the, the actor, the uh, yeah, Dwayne yeah. Johnson. I are, think he's going by Dwayne Johnson. Now, uh, he's an actor. Are, now. are you about to bring uh, up the the horrible idea for the the reboot of a movie that I think is dumb? Um, with the it's a particular '80s movie with Kurt Russell. Yeah, oh, I believe that. I, it's I, we talked about this on the it's podcast sacrilege. earlier. It's sacrilege. It absolutely is because for one, it's a movie that doesn't need to be remade, and I'm glad uh, you know another celebrity agrees with us on this. And two, Jack Burton. If you look back at that movie, Jack Burton was kind of like a bumbling idiot. He wasn't a hero until the very end of that movie. No, it's exactly right. They're just going to destroy the movie. They did the same thing to every movie I've ever loved. Like, I don't know if you guys remember a movie called The Out of Towners. It was Jack oh yeah, Jackson. they remade that a few years ago with, with Steve Michael Douglas. And uh, it was like, oh yeah, that's right, you guys. Yeah. No, oh, no, they did the In Laws with Michael Douglas, which is another great movie with Peter Falk, and uh, that was a great movie. If you've never seen that, The In Laws, it's super funny, and they remade that. But no, The Out of Towners was uh, Steve Carell and Tina Fey. They remade it. It was horrible. Yeah. You know, those movies are gems because of who did them and, and the time they were made. And, and you know, really, do we have that little imagination that we can't think of new movies rather than yeah. bringing these? Well, the Rock? The Rock in Big Trouble in Little China? Are you kidding me? They're going to turn <laughs> Jack Burton into an action star, and that's not who he was. Uh, yeah. That's... It's like, it's like, uh, it's like uh, uh, Andy Dick doing, you know... Terminator or something. <laughs> like, why, why are we bothering with this shit? You know, just They're still coming out new. with those. <laughs> Although I would like to do that. That would be funny. <laughs> well, did you did you see the trailer for the new Point Break movie? Who's that? Who's that? And they're also, no, who's in that one, though? I, uh, nobody I, I even know of. I, I don't know. <laughs> don't, it's the same direction, if, though, right? Um, I think it's Erickson Core? I thought it was, what's Spielberg remaking that he made at one time? I can't remember what it is. But they're also doing, uh, they're remaking uh, uh, Footloose. Not Footloose, no, not Footloose. The one with... Uh, the Roadhouse one, what was it called? With the guy that he just he died a while ago of brain cancer. Um, Where he's a bouncer. Oh, bouncer. Ro- oh, Roadhouse. That's actually yeah, what I it's think called. It is Roadhouse, yeah. Isn't it? Is it called Roadhouse? They're yeah. Remaking that. With Patrick, they're remaking. Oh, really? oh man. See, and I think I think what the problem is too, and I don't think it's the fact that they're coming up. It's a lack of original ideas. I think it's the companies, the production companies, and the studios are too afraid to take risks on these original ideas. They're just putting out what they know is going to make money and what people are going to go and see. Well, you know, it's a, it's there's not, you know, and you go to meetings and networks and stuff now. It's not it's not people who have any sort of artistic talents are all behind it all now. It's just money people. Yeah. So that's you know, it's not anybody who you know. You go in to, to, to talk about a comedy, doing a comedy, and these people have no sense of humor whatsoever. So it's not like you can go in and talk about something with Mel Brooks anymore. You know, you're talking to an accountant, basically, trying to sell something. So it's, you know, it's impossible. I yeah. give up. I gave, I gave up <laughs> when reality shows started. I just gave up. The fact that people are watching Here Comes Honey Boo Boo and there's, you know, like a pedophile <laughs> on the show, and you know, we're glorifying that. I mean, it's... I've lost track of the Kardashians and all that shit. Oh, I can't, I can't stand the Kardashians, any of them. I can't stand any of them. So, uh, but they, they, uh, I can't remember. I think it was was it on Letterman's last show. And you guys probably won't get this joke because you're not old enough. I don't think. But he said, uh, you know, when my show first started, uh, the hottest show on network TV was Keeping Up with the Keeping Up with the Gabors. Oh yeah. I don't know if you remember <laughs> John Ava Gabor. Oh yeah. They yeah. Kind of yeah. Like, they were kind of like the Kardashians at their time. I thought that was. Fun. Line, but, get it, you know. but 
that's what I loved about Letterman. If he, again, he would just do stuff because it made him laugh. It yeah. Of anybody else laughs. Yeah. And that's the best part of it. And that's the best part of any comedy is if you can make people laugh. You know, if if it makes you, know you if it makes you laugh, then that's what you should do. And I tell you, the best move I ever made was to, to switch from stand up to improv because the people that I've worked with doing improv, I never would have worked with if I did stand up. I worked with all my heroes doing improv: Jim Conway. Caesar, Jonathan Winters, you know, I got to, Robin, you know, I got the work of all these people on stage that if I was doing stand-up, I never would have, you know? Yeah. Jonathan Winters and Sid Caesar, give me a break. That's, I mean, you know. That Sid Caesar episode where he, you guys brought him in for his birthday was such a great episode. Um, especially the game that he played in the end, the alphabet game, you know, where I think it was, no, it wasn't the alphabet game. I think the it was gibberish. the gibberish. Yeah. The languages that you guys yeah. had to play. And you know, he didn't, he didn't live much longer after that. You know, and he, he came in, you didn't see it when he came into the studio, but he came in on a cane, you know, and he had those, those kind of velvet slippers you get from the Beverly Hills hotel with the crests on them. You know, yeah. I thought, this is, this is old show business. You know, this is what it's like. And the same with Jonathan Winters, you know, I mean, these guys are just brilliant and be able to work with them before they died. It was like, you know, it's and I, I joke with Colin because I keep telling Colin, you know, we're becoming kind of like the Tim Conways of our time because I I remember watching Tim Conway when I was a, I was a kid and I used to think to myself, well, he's kind of old but he's funny, you know. Yeah. And I think we're kind of becoming, <laughs> you know, so it, it's odd in a way that we're kind of you know turning into that because you never think about it that way. But nah. you know, I'm not happy I got the work and Carol Burnett and all these people. It's like you know. Well, you mentioned, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Carol Burnett and Tim Conway. I mean, I watch clips of those old Carol Burnett shows, and I wish someone would put them out on DVD because they are, they're funnier than anything that's on TV now. Look, it's the last time anybody did a variety show. It's a dead art. The variety show is a dead art. Nobody will ever do it again. Yeah. Well, I mean, the closest thing you come now is... Stand-ups, it's it's not going to happen. You know, it just can't happen. It's just, nobody waits anymore. Everything's too fast. It's boom, 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 you know, and there's too many channels now. Nobody... People just flip. They flip through junk. Yeah. It's like I got to watch shows about crab fishermen and you know, <laughs> people and, who get hogs, hogs together out of the forest. Yeah. <laughs> really? And and, and, and people who drive on dangerous roads and and, oh, and was, things oh, like that. God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's everything. It doesn't it was, matter. It's like you know. American plumber, you know. <laughs> yeah, there was an entire show I saw a commercial for where all it is is women uh, giving birth in the woods. That was the entire show. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and you know, half these shows are bullshit. You know, these moonshiners, you can't do something illegal like that. Yeah. There's no yeah. way to do it on TV. They're breaking the law. You know, it's bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, half yeah. these shows are just, you know, they give them the lines and they tell them what to do. And it's yeah, it's all scripted. Yeah. yeah, I want I want to jump backwards for uh, just a minute before we let you go. You had mentioned you know like you know working with Jonathan Winters and everything. I was a a huge huge fan, and I spoke to Colin and Greg about this too. So I, I'm wondering your opinion. Um, I was a huge huge fan of Robin. I mean, he was probably my comedy idol. I was devastated when he passed, and I know you got the chance to work with him. And I'm I'm just wondering what your impression of him was when you actually got the chance to do that episode of Who's Line with him. Well, I you know, I'd worked with him quite a few times before that. The first time I ever worked with him, I was doing uh, stand-up dash improv up at a place called Punchlines in Vancouver, and he was shooting Jumanji in Vancouver. I don't know. I can't even tell you what year this was. It's got to be, again, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. But he knew we did improv on Thursday, so he would come down and do improv with us every Thursday. We were both quite young at that time. Okay? And, uh, you know, throughout the years, he kept popping into, you know, he'd come to do stuff on stage with us, and then he'd... The one thing I always really loved about Robin is he would—he never had an entourage. He would always come by himself, you know. 
He always had like a, you know a Starbucks coffee. Mm-hmm. He would come in the back. He would come in the back door. You know, he didn't want to be seen by people. He didn't want to be you know the life of the party when he walked in and take focus from you. He would come in, do the show, talk to you for a little while, and he'd leave. But he was never comfortable one on one. He would never. If you were and him were in a room by yourselves, he he was quiet. He wouldn't say anything. You know. But as soon as you put like more than you know a couple people in a the room, then he kind of came alive. You know. But. Uh, he, he was the nicest guy in the world. He's sweaty as hell. <laughs> I, know, I know when we did Who's Line, Wardrobe had five shirts for him. Because, uh, oh, wow. he did one scene, Rob and I did one scene in, on Who's Line where we're on the ground and he, and he rolled over me. And when he got to the other side of me, my, sh- my shirt was trash <laughs> because he was fat. Right? Hairy, hairy, and sweaty. Yeah. yeah he's funny I... as hell, man. I loved him. He was just, he was a great guy. And him and Jonathan were good friends. So, you know, it was. To see them both go around the same time was like, wow. You know, not a lot of death in show business really affects me. Like when Joan Rivers and people die, it's like, oh, you know, I admire Joan Rivers, but it doesn't get, it doesn't depress me, you know. Yeah. But when those guys died, it's like when I heard Robin died, it was like, oh, you know, really? Seriously? Yeah, that, that's how I was, too. There's not a lot of, like, celebrity deaths or anything that kind of affect me, but Robin really, Robin pretty hit me hard because, I mean, I mean, obviously he had his demons, and I think I've had my share of my own, too, so I kind of related to him a little bit, and I found a lot of comfort in his comedy, so obviously when he, you know, when he left us, it, it, it hit me pretty hard. So I love hearing, you know, what other people's impressions of who worked with him and, and such. Yeah, I know so. Greg was supposed to have dinner with him like two nights after that happened. So, oh, wow. Greg, Greg and him were, were pretty close because they both started in San Francisco and grew right. up and stuff there around the same time. But, uh, you know, he, would, he was one of those guys that if you needed him for something, he was always there. You know, if you needed him for a benefit show or something, he'd, he'd be there, you know. I'm yeah. like Charlie. Charlie. Charlie's the nicest guy in the world, but if Charlie told you right now that he would be somewhere tonight, he's probably not showing up. <laughs> and it's not his fault. It's just, you know, something happened, you know. Yeah. He had to get money for one of his hookers or something. <laughs> but, he's, but he's a hell of a nice guy, you know. Yeah, I love. I mean, I I never looked down on Charlie, even with all that other yeah. stuff that was going on. I, I'm still a big hey, fan hey. of him, and you know. You know what? Here's the thing about Charlie. Okay, and and Drew was kind of the same way in Drew's early days when Drew used to date strippers and stuff like that. Uh, these guys never lied about anything. Yeah, they would tell you. You know, when, when that whole Heidi Fleiss thing happened, you know, Charlie was like, "Yeah, I spent like five hundred thousand dollars on hookers last year." You know, he didn't <laughs> he didn't bullshit and try to you know like these. The people do now, and they, and they try to weasel their way out of stuff, and you become right. publicity and all that. He he always told the truth, you know. And you you got to kind of admire people for that, you know. And then they become boring to the tabloids because they're not hiding they're not hiding anything, you know. Yeah. So why do anything on them, you know? So, um, do you still talk to Drew? I, I, you know, I know you don't. He's not hosting the show anymore. Now he's doing the prices right. But do you still talk to him on a yeah. regular basis? Yeah, I talk to him. You know, quite a bit. Not quite a bit. I'll, I'll talk to him on the phone, maybe. You know once every three months, but we'll text once in a while when I forget, you know, oh shit, I haven't texted Drew in a long time, you know, but, you know, you'll text him and then he'll text back, miss you, buddy, or something, you know, he's really a, like, a sentimental guy, you know, yeah. and plus, you know, I live in Bellingham, Washington, and he owns part of the Seattle Sounders, the soccer team, so if there's a game, he always invites me to the game, but, you know, once in a while I get down, but, you know, it's kind of a drive, but, you know, I get down to LA, I see him once in a while, you know, but we're still... Again, he's like a brother, you know. If you don't see him for two years, it doesn't matter. First time you see him, it's like, oh, hey, how are you? It's back to normal again, you know. Yeah, I'd love to talk to him yeah. sometime because I know uh, he doesn't know it, but Drew and I are fraternity brothers. Oh, so. wow, really? Yeah. Well, you probably love that. Yeah. Oddly enough, the only guy I never talked to off the Drew Carey show, I, I talked to Craig once in a while, I talked to Cabby a lot, but is Dietrich, who played Oswald from the yeah. show. I get, yeah. 
I did every scene with him for 10 years. <laughs> we were in every scene together. I've talked to him once since the show ended because I saw wow. him on the street. Yeah, it's very <laughs> odd, you know. Yeah. Very odd. So, um, well, I, I know we don't want to keep you any longer. You, you've given us more than enough time, so we don't want to, you know, take up any more of your time. Uh, one final well, question. I'm going to go take a shower, and I'm going to take a shower and go improvise. Oh, there you go. Uh, Perfect. One final question before we let you go. Oh, and over the 200 episodes, you've worked with Clive, you've worked with Drew, you've worked with Aisha. I know it's probably tough to choose. Do you have a favorite? Well, you know what? I, I mean, Clive was great because that was – was th- you know it was new and it was thrilling back then we did it in england you know we had to fly over to england it was brand new it was you know and it was i remember clive because of that then when we brought it over here i remember because it was drew and i did two shows with drew so it was good brand new it was really close and then with aisha it was odd because you know we'd always made fun of drew when we did the show and stuff so when we started the show it was like oh she's a woman we can't make fun of her <laughs> and then she started hacking on us so we realized oh wait a minute we can because she's just you're hacking on us. You Fair know? game. So it took about it took about a year to get comfortable with Aisha because we didn't want to, you know, again step on toes and that kind of stuff. But she's hilarious and she's fun to work with. So they're they're all great in their own way, you know. Yeah. Uh, Aisha's very smart. You know, Drew always cracked up and he couldn't stop laughing sometimes. <laughs> Clive, Clive just had a really dry sense of humor where he'd hack on you all the time. So they were all different. And you know, the show itself, it's been the same set for you know since 1989 when we started. You wouldn't know what decade you were in or what city we've done it in New York we've done it in London we've done it in LA I mean you wouldn't know where you are because the chair is always the same the guy sitting to the right of me is always the same you know I got the piano on their left you know what I mean yeah. it's like when we, <laughs> when we started back we hadn't done it for 10 years the first show Colin and I looked at each other it was like we had just gone on a coffee break or something you know and that was 10 years so you know, it's all the same. But people, it's funny because when we don't do ten, Who's Line for 10 years, people just assume that you stopped improvising for 10 years, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that, you, that you don't improvise anymore when you're on stage two or three times a week, you know. Yeah. You, you don't give up improv- improvising just because Who's Line's off the air. But uh, yeah. it's a great show, and, you know, it, someday it'll run its course. But uh, I don't know when, <laughs> you know, but I don't care. As long as we want to do it, it's yeah. fine with me. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's con- very, Oh, God. It's very... Yeah, it's very. I'm just gonna say it's very timeless. Like the the entire premise. I mean, you could watch an episode from any of the previous iterations, and it's still funny. You know what I mean? And yeah, and you, you know what? It's 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 cliche, and I hate to say it this way, but it, it really is a show you can watch. And, and I, I should I shouldn't say that because I used to watch when my kids were little. I used to watch America's Funniest Videos with them because it was a show that the family could watch. And whose line's kind of like that? I mean, the yeah. worst thing you're going to see is two grown men kissing each other, you know, <laughs> which, which little kids think is odd anyway, you know. But, uh, you know, it really is because we keep it clean. You know, it's a bit risque once in a while. But, uh, yeah. you know, I've got so many people, girls that will come up that are, you know, 25, 26 years old, tell me, oh, I used to watch you when I was like six, seven years old, which could not make you feel older. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, people grew up with us, which is kind of odd, I think. Yeah, I still watch them. I have every episode of the of the ten year run when you guys first brought it to America. I have every episode on my computer. Uh, there are times I'll I'll let them run all weekend just playing on a, on a shuffle. And... Oh no, man! You, you got to get out. You are you under house arrest? No, 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 no. It's usually during the winter when there's not really much to do and it's snowing outside and and, right, and, and that's, stuff. That's what we make the show for. So, exactly. Do you, uh, <laughs> do you ever do you ever do uh, any of your touring over on the East Coast, or do you stay mostly West Coast? Yeah, we we had you know we have in years past, but I kind of I'm not a good flyer anyway. Uh, uh, so yeah. uh, you know I'm kind of a West Coast guy. I like I like my drive through coffee places. I like you <laughs> okay. know, my my Pacific Ocean breeze rolling in. I live on the ocean. I live on a lake. You know, 
my dad was a fisherman. You know, I don't feel comfortable really unless I'm on the West Coast. But we're, I mean, we're back in Toronto and around Ontario, I think, in a few months. So we do get back once in a while, but not as much as we used to. Okay. Uh, well, then next next time I'm in uh, Bellingham, I'll I'll stop in at the the theater. Please do. You'll enjoy it. I built the theater. It's perfect. It's an absolutely perfect theater. Yeah. Well, you guys are in your third season now of Whose Lines in Anyway, uh, so people can catch you every Friday. CW eight o'clock. Uh, Ryan, this has been fantastic. We, we've been huge fans for a long time. We were so excited to talk to you. So thank you for spending well, some time thanks. with us. Thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, guys, stick around. We will be back with the showcast right after this.